Welcome to the Alameda Health System Board of Trustee All Day Retreat here on April 30th, 2021. Um, we'll make some opening comments shortly, but let's first do roll call. Madam Clerk? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Jensen. Uh, she's signing on still, I think. Trustee Splendoria. Here. All right, we do have a quorum. Thank you. Madam Clerk. Next on the agenda is a public comment. Madam Clerk, do we have anyone registered for public comment? No, I don't. So so I know that that, that our public is still navigating the tech aspects of getting on board. Um, uh, by way of show of hands and trustees help me with eyeballs. If you can use, if you would just raise your hand if you have a public comment. Trustee Jensen's in the room, uh, Madam Clerk. Thanks. I'm scoping through and I do not see any. In the meantime, while we're waiting for people to raise their hands, a couple of comments on public comment. As a reminder, this board um, welcomes public comment. All feedback and commentary we consider a gift. Generally, uh, public comment, if it isn't attributed to agenda item, comes at the top of the agenda. If it's public comment related to agenda item, uh, a specific agenda item, that's where, where we will place it. The public minutes actually kind of denote the process to, to, to do that. And given the sometimes difficulty of navigating this, we're giving people an opportunity. So I'm going to give last pass through the list. I don't see any hands or, or public comment. Okay. So uh, we will close out that and we'll go to item A, uh, the, the, the welcome to this uh, retreat. Um, welcome to this first board of trustees retreat, board of trustees retreat for this uh, newly reconstituted board. Um, as, as we know, one, fr one framing that we're doing now is we're gonna try to be a continuously learning board so we're setting articles uh, uh, at, in many of our committees. An article which we've already done before has been reattached here. There are, uh, the, the title of this specific article is Top Boards Do These Four Things Differently. And I just wanna review that and hopefully that will frame our day. First, they refocus the board agenda. Top boards spend their time looking forward, not back. The past, of course, is critical to understanding where we are today. Past is prologue, as they say. However, our main focus of this board is to help create this organization's future. So uh, I think the agenda was built to, to contemplate our forward-looking path, but not ignore, or ignoring our past. Second uh, thing that top boards do differently, they make debate a priority. Uh, I believe that nothing is better than thoughtful, informed, and respectful debate. And I also believe that groupthink is dangerous. So we, we want to have respectful, thoughtful, and informed debate uh, in all the forms that we have. So uh, I encourage us to make that consideration. Third, give clear feedback. Um, that is to our staff, of course, our, our, our sole employee and, and, and staff as appropriate, but also to ourselves. Uh, Strong feedback, I, I think it cannot be argued, uh, uh, gives opportunity for improved performance. 
Uh, the last agenda item of the of the day, we'll be talking about this this for ourselves, trustees board performance. And last, be present and ready to speak up. Uh, my job is to help. Part of my job is to help create an environment where people feel safe to speak up. And I I, I think we have a lot of gutsy and brave trustees. So uh, everyone speak up uh, and uh, let's let's push the debate. Today we have four big blocks to help us contemplate our future. We're going to open the day with governance, uh, uh, talk about two very important forward-looking things, and I'll make an opening when we go to that. Then we're going to talk about strategic considerations. Um, we have three items of, of particular import for that, which will be which can help guide many of the future considerations for this organization. Then we'll talk about a, a, a fi the financial considerations of this organization, and last, we'll end with discussions about board performance. I'm very much uh looking forward to today's discussions and dialogues so i ask everyone to pace themselves it's a long day for the trustees i know people will be coming in and out non-trustees but um pace ourselves but let's let's try to be engaged and keep our cameras on and look each other in the eye if we can and hopefully that we have so with that i'm going to now defer to uh the vice president of the board trustee jensen and the secretary treasurer esteem for other opening comments before we dig in uh, madam vice president Thank you, um, Dr. Duquette. I also want to just comment that this day oh is going to be excellent. I'm sorry? You're just echoing. Um, let's see, how can I? How can I okay, how about if we have the tra treasurer go before me? That, that's good. That in that position, it was pretty good. So keep it coming, Madam Vice President. Um, I also wanted to take this opportunity to applaud the new leadership at Alameda Health System, recognizing the effectiveness of the AHS vaccine program and the way that our staff and all of the system has come together to reduce the COVID-19 infection rate, to improve vaccinations, and to monitor this this crazy situation that we've been in for over a year now and to um say thank you from alameda hospital i i want to thank leadership and especially um sharia johnson who's the executive uh, executive assistant to the ceo for keeping me informed and i want to close by saying it's great to know that there are zero infections for the first time in about a year at alameda hospital and I say that from with appreciation from Alameda Healthcare District. So I'll end there. Thank you. Thank you, Madam. Uh, Madam uh, Secretary Treasurer. Thank you so much for your continued encouragement to share the space, uh, Board Chair. Um, I'd like to invite everyone to take a moment to resonate and meditate on something that's been constantly on my mind in the last few months. A quote from Audrey Lord, which is, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Here at AHS, we are not intending to dismantle our health system, but we are recreating it. As we heard from the quote, uh, from the article from our board president, we have to have rich debate. We cannot be stuck in group think. We have to be willing to make something new we have inherited a system uh, where clearly the leadership saw the need 
our county leadership saw the need to dismantle the house. And we are part of the structure that is making something new of AHS. Improvements through COVID, this challenging time for all of us, closing contracts that seem to be open forever, bringing morale back and trust. We are on a journey and I am proud to be with everyone on this journey. I think that as a group, we can succeed to make AHS the best place possible as we saw this week with the Joint Commission survey, a successful completion and, com and total turnaround. I'm proud of AHS staff and leadership. So I'd like to invite everyone to just take a moment and pause on what it is that we are doing as individuals to make this house new again. Thank you, Secretary Fredrosti, uh, you know, uh, profound words. With that, we'll close the welcome item A. Let's go, let's dig in. Let's go to block one governance. Uh, I, as we as we were developing this uh, agenda, I, I think uh, it is impossible while I said not to look backwards, our past informs where we are now. I think it's safe to say that last year was a crucible for this organization and what is, uh, has emerged as a new board and a new executive leadership team. Uh, also born out of last year was a contemplation of how we do things at the governing level. And this, this is one of the strategic priorities for this organization. Under the, under the guidance and watch of the Board of Supervisors, uh, uh, this contemplation came in the form of a, uh, of a contract with a consulting group called Health Management Associates, HMA. Many of you guys were in the uh, room last night to hear how HMA phrase, uh, framed their inquiry into this. And, um, uh, and that's where we are. We, uh, we learned how the inquiry was, was framed. I'm honored to and very pleased to have uh, the first uh, formal agenda item come from our Board of Supervisor, uh, District 3 Supervisor Wilma Chan to help guide us in this further contemplation of where our governance will be vis-a-vis -vis the county. After this, we will have further contemplation about how we govern ourselves. And that will be led by um, our, our interim CEO, James Jackson. So block one is governance. It comes out with some heavy stuff, and I think it, it, it'll help frame the day. So uh, let's go to item B1. Supervisor Chan, welcome, uh, and thank you, and appreciation for coming to us. The floor is yours, ma'am. You're on, uh, you're on, uh, they, they said the, the most quoted phrase of uh, 2020 was, you're uh, on. I'm on <laughs> unmuted now. Okay, and if you hear barking, it's my dog. If you hear meow, it's my cat. Um, <laughs> my comfort animals. Uh, <laughs> good morning, everyone. It's nice to see all of you. Hopefully I can see all of you in person some sooner than later, maybe in the fall. Um, first, I want to thank you all uh, for inviting me. I want to thank you all for the work, extraordinary work that you've done just over the last like four months or so um, in terms of the transition from the prior board to this board, uh, settling the union contracts, dealing with the JCO hiring the interim CEO and um, other things that you've attended to. And um, I want to express the appreciation of the whole board for that. Um, we're very um, happy with your performance and really want to thank you because we know it's taken a lot, a lot of your time and energy. So um, I was just going to sum up where we are with, with uh, HMS, HMA, um, 
I know you heard from them the other day. They gave you a report on some of the feedback. I know you guys are are sort of anxious to hear the timeline. So just to recall, uh, we engaged them on December 15th um, to facilitate a, a review of the overall governance model, meaning what the county's relationship is to your board and to the um, to the administration. Um, because we had changed the model in 1998. We've gone through uh, a lot of ups and downs, financial as well as governance wise. And um, we're actually very, uh, and so it's a you know macro governance model that the board will be considering. Um, just to let you know, we've been very happy with their performance. They, they've, they are really, really experts in this area. They've worked with a number of counties um, throughout the state of California who have public health systems in terms of helping them um, deal with their um, with their governance issues. So between January, there's my dog. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> after my cat. Between January and March um, of this year, they did a comprehensive review of all the governance models um, of county hospitals in California. Um, in the, since the '90s, actually, a lot of them have closed. Um, sadly speaking. And as you know, they conducted stakeholder interviews um, with over, sorry, with over 50 individuals. Um, you heard last night um, the feedback from the meetings that was synthesized by them. Um, we also, at the same time, a little slightly later, we engaged um, a, an attorney who's expert, an expert in healthcare governance, because whatever model um, are, is uh, suggested to the board of supervisors. We have to make sure that it's legally feasible under the state um, health codes. So in mid-March, um, the HMA began pulling together the preliminary recommendations um, to improve the accountability, relationships, and transparency between the system and the county. And people who have participated in those meetings were two board of supervisors who were assigned to it, which was myself and Mr. Valle. Um, the county administrator, the county council, our healthcare service agency, and and um, some of their employees who've been involved in this, including um, Dr. Clannon, who I think you know very well. Um, the HMA is working on a framework that outlines potential governance models uh, for our consideration, um, which will include an outline of implementation activities that would re be required for each option. Because unless we stay the same, um, there are going to be there are implementation steps for every model. Some of them are very very lengthy, um, would take years. Um, some of them are a little bit less lengthy. Um, you know, really, I think you heard the 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 spectrum goes from uh, we're not and we're not going to discuss this model, but I'll, I'll tell you the spectrum would go from making the system more independent, for instance, making the hospital a nonprofit. Uh, organization unto its own. We're not considering that, but I'm just telling you the step to, um, to the county um, going back to 1997, um, meaning taking back all the employees, which would require the longest period of time because we'd have to transfer everyone into civil service. We'd have to redo every contract with the state, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. So those are the two um, bookends of this. Um, so we're probably just to, we don't know, for, I don't know for sure, we're going to come out somewhere in the middle of that. Um, uh, and um, 
we know that it's important that you know what we come up with so that um, the uh, permanent CEO and yourself can do the strategic planning. So the supervisors don't have a set timeline yet, but I've been pushing it along. And um, HMA will be um, informing all each supervisor what the recommendations are. Um, not all the supervisors have been informed yet on what the recommendations are. So that's the first step. Um, our board has to be informed on what they are. And I think that's going to take place possibly next week. Um, I've been push, trying to push it as quickly as possible. And um, then um, after that's done, we will have a presentation at the Supervisors Health Committee meeting and then to the uh, uh, full board. Um, and it will the recommendations, recommendations will become public. Um, at that time, we'll make a presentation, not only the Health Committee, but we'll come and make a presentation to you um, I think since the labor organizations are so critical, we'll have meetings, separate meetings with the labor organizations and any other um, public meetings or discussions that may be necessary. So I think we'll probably, you know, um, in terms of making a decision, complete this process by, um, well, definitely before our break um, in August, hopefully before then. At the same time, we know that there's going to probably have to be legislation related to this if we make any changes. Um, so we have introduced a what we call a spot bill, which is a, a place saver bill in Sacramento. Um, Assemblyman Bonta was the author, but we have to switch because he's now taken on a new role. Um, and so we have found a new author. Um, so whatever we do, we're going to have to make some changes um, up there, um, that that's on advice of attorney if, if we make any changes. Um, the last thing I want to do is tell you before we take any questions is the issue of the permanent agreement is not affected by the structural change. That's a separate discussion. Um, so just to let you know, because some people thought that the governance uh, issue would so-called change or solve the permanent agreement. I understand there's questions about that, but this does not that's this does not solve or change that if if there need to be discussions on that that can be done but it's not a governance issue so with that um, I'll take any questions or comments thank you madam supervisor um, and uh, let's go into Q&A and the, the dialogue and I saw I think Trustee Esteem's hand. Was that right? Uh, Trustee Esteem, uh, yeah. it's to you, please. Uh, regarding the spot bill, what is the number and who is the new author? Uh, Vanessa? She's there. She'll tell you. Unmute myself. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, so, actually, Justin Prince yesterday, I believe, the new author is Buffy Wick. She's graciously agreed to take it on. The number is AB 924, but I will confirm that and can put it in the chat. There, if, is the chat visible to everyone? I think the chat. Oh. Great. Trustee no, Esty, uh, the chat is only to me, to the host. Uh, uh, Vanessa, you can send it to me and I can send it to folks. It is, I just double checked, it is AB 924. Now, Wick, if you look it up, it's there's only like a minor tweak because as the supervisor mentioned, it is a spot bill. 
Um, the board hasn't made a decision about what changes it will, would make, so we haven't drafted any language yet. Although our attorney and county council would be um, actively working on that. And the reason we put it in is there was a bill deadline um, that that pa uh, passed now that was um, uh, so you know about a month and a half ago. So we had to put something in, and we wanted to make sure we had a vehicle for whatever change we want to make. Trustee Steen, did that did, did you get answer to your question? Thank That's you. That's exactly what I needed to know. Yeah, thanks. Let's keep coming around. Uh, Trustee Dong. Hello, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Supervisor Chan and uh, Mr. Daniel. Uh, a quick thank you for your, and I, we thank you last night, Abdensha, um, but uh, on behalf of the board, we thank you for your collegiality and your um, dialogue with the Board of Trustees and your openness to partner with us, though. This journey is, um, we're on the path together, but you are the driver. So a big thank you from us. Thank you. I think we have a good partnership now. Trustees, other questions? Uh, 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 good, good hand waving, Trustee Jensen. I, it caught my eye. Uh, Trustee Jensen. Thank you. Um, thank you, Supervisor Chan. Thank you for um, for opening up this this challenging process and i i just want to um appreciate also the the mention of partnerships from my colleagues and you all mentioned earlier of how um th these changes will impact all things especially um the the legal aspects and the agreements and the contracts with different um entities including alameda healthcare district of which you are very familiar supervisor chan and so um, as you know, and as we'll hear the, my colleagues on the board and the public participators participating, we'll hear later um, when the presentation from Alameda Healthcare District. But as we all know, there is a, an agreement that's been very strong, very successful, and in place for seven years now between Alameda Health System and Alameda Healthcare District. And just to ensure that as we transition into the new governance model, that 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 um, the joint powers agreement or whatever it may be called in the future transitions as well, because it is so important to our communities. Thank you. I believe that's, you know, the attention of the board. We, I don't think um, our board would make any deci uh, strategic decisions regarding the services provided by uh, uh, the health system um, through this process. And that's true, but I, I notice in some of the HMA um, information, it, it's not actually recognizing or, or um, specifying Alameda Hospital and the Alameda SNFs and some some of the, the information. So I just want to ensure that that those are prioritized, those are included and recognized as we move forward. Yeah, we're aware of that, and our our, our um, attorney knows all the, the agreements all the legal agreements that uh, exist. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Other trustees coming around the horn, Trustee Splendorio, Trustee Fox, Trustee Banerjee, Trustee Blue. Any comments? Uh, Supervisor Chan, sometimes I, uh, I, I just want to repeat what I think I heard just to, uh, to, to make sure that we're all on the page. What, what what I think I heard Supervisor Chan is that HMA 
has uh, completed their uh, or, or nearly completed sort of their their setup and are, are poised to make a recommendation. The supervisors in their entirety have not heard these recommendations. So the process will be to present these to individual supervisors. Ultimately, this will migrate to the health committee of the board of supervisors of which you remember. And then, and then that will, you'll navigate that dialogue in there. And if the recommendation is received, it will then be advanced to the full uh, uh, board of supervisors for vote. Uh, and you're, you're, you're contemplating or, or predicting that this could probably have a resolution on, on whichever model by your August close. Is that, it, that's is that, correct. that summarized? Yeah, that's correct. The only step that was skipped is between the health committee and the vote of the board, there will be public input. Yes, ma'am. Partner input, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I always think of that quote from Yogi Barrett. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. So I know that this is this is hard stuff. Um, I, I, I bring this point because as the governing body uh, for AHS, um, we are now contemplating our strategic moves. And much of this is a lot, not, not exclusively, but predicated, of course, on how this comes. We're ultimately going to have to hire a uh, uh, make a permanent CEO, uh, and 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 that flexibility might be, or lack of flexibility might be determined on what governance structure is chosen. We're going to have to make strategic considerations. We're having discussions about Alameda Hospital, San Leandro Hospital, and East Bay Medical Group, and some of those will certainly be impacted. Do you have some comments uh, uh, or, or or guidance, Supervisor Chan, on how we proceed about the business of contemplating our strategy? When we when we don't when we're when we're missing this piece of the puzzle, um, I think you should just continue um, as you've been doing with your decision making because even after we adopt the model, we 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 will have to pass legislation. Um, we think just to be safe in terms of um, meeting all the codes. So I, I don't really think the implementation will be done till towards the end you know, at the end of the year, or maybe even um, if the bill becomes a two-year bill, it would be done by January 31st, um, because there's a lot of um, detailed legal things that would have to be written into the law. So go ahead. I would say just go ahead with your planning. Proceed till apprehended. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, trustees. And so, yeah. Hi, good morning, everybody. So I have a question. So right now we have an interim CEO, and because the governance structure is not settled yet, does that in any way prohibit us from hiring a permanent CEO? And the reason why I say this is because if this is not going to get implemented for several months, um, I don't know. Does James want to hang out that long as an interim CEO? I'm just asking the question. I think you should go ahead because okay. I don't. I don't think we can um, stop the work that is necessary to strengthen and and uh, sustain the system while we're doing this. And you know, we'll go as fast as we can. But like I said, we have to make some legislative changes. So right, that's some time. So go ahead. I think you should go ahead and appoint your permanent you should go ahead with your strategic plan 
Um, obviously, okay. you should keep us posted, and you know we can have dialogue about that in partnership. Anyway, um, we'll be discussing finance, a lot of stuff. But don't don't wait don't wait on this uh, you know this this formal thing. I mean, like I said, we're going as fast as we can, but we have um, constraints. Okay, thank you for that. And then the one other thing I want to make a comment on is, Wilma, I'm really glad that you're going to meet with the unions, you know, on the governance changes or the recommendations that will come up. And because there's a spot bill, I think it's really important that you and the rest of the board of supervisors really form that partnership because we can be helpful and the unions can be helpful in lobbying for passage of whatever this spot bill is. Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Trustee Blue. Trustee Banerjee, apologies. Um, I didn't see your hand before, but now I see it. Uh, the floor is yours, Trustee Banerjee. Thank you. Um, so I am uh, reading the contents of the spot bill too, and I'm really, um, you know, glad that this will be a thoughtful process. So we, we, uh, know the different pathways that are. There are only like a couple that seem viable for um, AHS and seeing that come through. And also reiterating that it's not just a CEO, but for him to get an A team around him to, for, to hire the best talent becomes harder when um, just, you know, laying it out, it's harder for folks to leave their jobs and come here and join this when they know that the governance structure is in flux. So even as we go through the legislative process, the partnership between the county um, and the AHS to make sure that all of the other structural changes that we need to like get in place, um, there's a true partnership and support, mutual support through that process as well. And that, you know, James has the support, not just of the AHS board for the kind of work that he needs to do, but from uh, the, our exter key external partners as well for the, um, some of the changes that will be happening for sure. Um, the second thing is that although we are decoupling the permanent agreement and the arrangements with the governance structure, one, uh, I'll just reiterate this because, you know, as being one of the folks who's been on this board longest is that fiscal structure kind of drives our operational and our uh, clinical and a lot of our strategy too, because when we are just about able to keep our margins or even struggling to keep our margins, it's like strategically thinking about new service lines. What does our community need? What does our county need? How do we show up with, um, you know, making the most of all of the um, expertise that is within our um AHS family is harder to do so that too like we hope that that by having county folks hopefully in our governance um, on our board or whatever way that you all decide that 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 will be a way for folks to kind of see things from the inside as well because that that um, the net negative balance and that permanent agreement is on the site, something that we hope we can continue working on while the governance legislation is happening on its side. And I'll stop with that. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Splendorio. Thank you. Uh, thank you for acknowledging me, Taft. Um, uh, thank you for the question, Louisa, and, and thank you, Wilma, for the, you know, the, the process 
because um, and I, I do have a question or maybe a request to uh, add on to the, all the duties of um, the the board and also the, the administration that runs the hospital. Um, perhaps there should be a forum established to keep the public, the employees, the community um, informed of how things are going to proceed. I and mean, if it's going to take perhaps until the beginning of next year, I could see how it will impact uh, just, uh, you know, James and how, you know, we, we, we mentioned that, but his team that he's trying to put together, the team he will put together, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I'm glad that we're, to- we're being told, um, you know, that perhaps we should consider uh, hiring permanent, you know, not and remove the interim status um, because I can just imagine over the next several months that you know, that kind of uncertainty, people look for jobs and they're uncertain about their future and, and trying to lock in um, some sort of, uh, I guess the word might be uh, a sanity of over <laughs> what's to happen, uh, what is something we should keep in, keep the public informed and the community and the employees, et cetera. So maybe there's a way for them to do that. Uh, I don't know how to do that, but um, it seems that that would be an important thing. Trustee Splendoro, great comments. Trustee Fox. You're on mute, sir. Um, following up on uh, Trustee Splendorio's uh, comment, uh, I just wanted to clarify, uh, Supervisor Chan, you said you expected uh, by August that we would have resolution on what direction we're going with the structure of the governance. Um, and then it would take perhaps another five or six months to uh, make all the uh, legislation changes to enact that permanently. Once, once we know, uh, once we have resolution in August on what the structure will be, would we be able to have a fairly high level of confidence that the legislation is more of a formality than something that might change the direction of the, of the resolution? I think that would be helpful for all parties involved to know that it's going to take six more months to button this up, but that basically, you know, we have a, let's say a 90% level of confidence that it will go through and it's just a formality. Yeah, I, I I think so. Um, I mean, that's the reason why we hired a um, a healthcare specialist lawyer because we don't want to um, we don't want to advise something that has no you know that we're gonna the state's gonna come and say you can't do that. So um, yes, the idea is. I mean, you, of course, you never know a hundred percent, but um, we are um, working with them at the same time to make sure that whatever we do is going to be doable from a legal and legislative point of view. So, you know, um, it's interesting because I, I don't sit in your seats, but I, I hear you about the uncertainty. Um, uh, really, um, we I can tell you that the model won't get into changing, you know, um, directly changing the administrative team or anything like that. So um, in terms of the employees, I think you can go ahead with full confidence in terms of, of what um, you all have to do um, and what um, James has to do in terms of getting his team together in place. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Trustee Fox, did you did you get the data you needed, sir? Yes, thank you. I, I think we can all feel that maybe our horizon is more like August. 
throw it into the uncertainty then early in next year. Yeah, Q1. Uh, yeah, that's just, yeah, getting to uh, next year is just the, um, the implementation um, that we expect will be okay, because like I said, we hired the lawyer. Right. And we would move it faster if we can, but we have to go on the legislative schedule, unfortunately. Trust, uh, Trustee Dawn. Thank you, uh, Taft. Um, Supervisor Chan, just clarification on the legislation. Um, you said the implementation date was sometime in January. So are you expecting legislation to be effective January 1? Yeah, we're adding an urgency. You're adding urgency, so a signature. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Wong. Trustee Blue, your hand uh, icon is still up. You have another? Got it. So coming around the corner on all the trustees, every trustee had a comment. Good job, trustees. <laughs> so thank you for being engaged in part of this. Um, uh, Supervisor Chan, we have great appreciation for your partnership in caring for Alameda County's uh, 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 health. And uh, thank you for being a partner in that. And um, as you go forward uh, with the internal navigations at the health committee and then the external navigations of uh, with the, the unions and then ultimately through the Board of Supervisors, we, we very much look forward to continued dialogue. And I, I know that we've had open phone lines together and I, that, that is greatly appreciated. To, super, to, to Trustee Splendorio's point, I agree. Uh, finding the venue in which we can uh, can can uh, be kind of in lockstep uh, 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 with regard to the messaging and what's happening around, I think it is helpful to, to the public. Of course, the decision is the supervisors, but uh, keeping us uh, uh, as your value partner would, is, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I'll note that we have in our bylaws, which is a contemplation later this afternoon, we're, we're supposed to be having joint meetings with our board of supervisors at least three times a year. And right. maybe, maybe this is one of the venues in which this becomes agenda item A1 every time we meet until it's, until it's baked out. So uh, I will uh, work with the executive officers and, 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 and supervisor Chan uh, to, to, to navigate that, that part of our, our obligation under our own bylaws. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, we've been a little bit lax. I mean, not just you, our side is lax on that. I think the pandemic really um, took a lot out of everybody in terms of, of time. So yeah, we will follow up and yeah, anytime you have issues or questions, feel free um, to contact us. Um, uh, James uh, Jackson has been great. He's met with the County administrator several times. Um, we think we have open lines of communication now. And that's the way it should be. Agreed, Madam Supervisor. So with that, I'm looking around one last time. Any hands up? We close out item B1 for the day. Supervisor Chen, again, thank you for, for attending. Um, okay. And I, have, I'm a great, gonna... have a great day. You too. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, item B1 is closed. Uh, we continue with the second item on the governance structure. This is uh, uh, entitled AHS Governance, Current and Future State. And this is from our interim CEO, uh, Mr. James Jackson. A, a caveat to the audience and to the trustees, uh, th this was, this was a, uh, I'll call it a technical error and I'll have ownership on this one. The, um, 
the his actual presentation was incompletely loaded up. Um, so uh, he's going to be going through this. This will be amended on both NASDAQ and it will be amended for the public because there was only a, a piece of his presentation that went through. So, so I'm working with the clerk of the board to get that amended to both the public and to you trustees. So apologies, you didn't get a preview of, 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 of what our interim CEO is about to give us. Uh, Mr. Jackson, sir, the floor here is item B2. Let's talk about AHS governance. Excellent. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. And I regret that Supervisor Chan signed off immediately because I wanted to express my appreciation to her and by extension, the supervisors. They have been fantastic in my brief tenure as the interim CEO. Uh, the lines of communication have been open and they have been very supportive of the efforts of AHS. And I think that's um, shown in the way that we've been able to interact successfully with the county mechanism to meet the healthcare needs of our community. And you'll see some of that in the presentation that will be coming shortly when um, Dr. Swift talks about our collaborations with the county agencies to make sure that testing and vaccines have been getting disseminated appropriately. Um, I am slated for an hour. Um, there are four components to the governance presentation that will be presented. Um, Mark Fratsky, interim COO, will be supporting me in this, as well as Dr. Swift. Those four components will be the re-engagement of AHS that has been undertaken. Um, also, um, I will then transition and talk about organizational structure changes um, that have happened and that are going to be happening in relatively short order. I will then talk about a, an engagement that we are on the precipice of, and I wanted to make sure that the trustees as well as the public understood the nature of the engagement, the reasons for it, and what our expectations are um, as a result of this engagement that we are contemplating. And then finally, um, we will wrap up with a COVID update. And um, I'm terribly proud of what this organization has done over the past year. And I, I'm excited to share the updates, but also what we see for the foreseeable future. So, um, Rana, are you able to bring up my slides? Uh, yeah, give me just one moment. I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared to share your presentation. Just one moment. Sure. Okay. Um, and while that's happening, um, I want to just also acknowledge um, how grateful I am for the welcome that I received. Our trustees have been fantastic, um, very engaging. I've had the opportunity to meet with each of you, and I'm grateful for that. And also this um, AHS community, you will see shortly um, the, the results, because I think you all know that I've engaged on a essentially a listening tour across the entire organization, and I will be presenting some data about that. But I will tell you that uniformly the organization has been fantastic in their receptiveness to um, my stepping into the interim CEO role. So um, if we can go to slide number two, please. This is um, the, the essence of the re-engagement. Um, beginning, I started on January 23rd. Um, early in February, I began to um, essentially do a, a, a physical tour of the entire organization. And so I have uh, completed uh, 20 site visits, and I'm going to two different campuses every week. I will add to that that um, Mark Pratsky, Chief, Op our Chief Operating Officer, has been doing the same, sometimes with me, sometimes at other campuses, but really just making sure that we're a presence at all of the AHS facilities. I have conducted 
um, just over 50 individual one-to-one meetings with staff. And the way these meetings are structured, um, I am one-on-one with the staff. Sometimes there are two staff present. Once there were three. Um, Sharia Johnson, who is my executive assistant, joins via Zoom. And the reason for that is that she is able to scribe for me so that I can give my full attention to the folks I'm meeting with. The meetings are 10 minutes long. And so we really um, are very clear about the duration of the meeting. Um, we give a, an acknowledgement in eight minutes, and so they know it's time to start wrapping up. And staff have been very receptive to that. I've also met with um, 23 physicians one-to-one. Um, that has been very um, insightful. Um, and I want to just talk about some of the key takeaways. Um, there is a, a general sense of angst. Um, I appreciated the trustees' comments earlier about um, the transitory nature of, you know, the, the perceived transitory nature of the leadership team. And so that creates a degree of uncertainty. People want to know what the future um, is going to be from a, a leadership perspective and whether they should contemplate going elsewhere or whether it's, it's okay to stay here at AHS. And we have been emphatic that individuals may change, the mission does not change. And so that has been a consistent message that we believe in what's happening with AHS and what will be happening in the future. And we are um, very strongly urging people that they should stay and be a part of the you know, the, the rebirth of this organization. Um, the culture of safety was a big issue. Um, there was a lot of trepidation about completing the culture of safety survey. Ultimately, we did achieve a pretty high return rate, but not as high as we had initially hoped. And that, um, in my one-to-ones, there's a lot of um, concern about potential retaliation, retribution, or is anything actually going to be done? And so um, I'm grateful to Dr. Hussein and his team. We have a very defined rollout plan for the results of that culture of safety survey and how that will be shared with the staff. And as importantly, if not more so, what will be the actions that will come of that and how leaders will be expected to actually implement actions as a result of the culture of safety survey. So um, that's been a big issue for folks when I'm meeting with them. And I'm excited about our opportunity to to show them that their trust was not misplaced by responding to the culture of safety survey. Cultural diversity and a lack of sensitivity around cultural diversity is another reoccurring theme. Um, and I am happy to say that we have somebody in the, in the place of um, our chief human resources officer who really has a singular expertise in diversity issues. I'm excited that she's going to be working on bringing diversity training to the organization, but that is something that I've heard repeatedly from staff, concerns about um, cultural sensitivity, staffing issues, um, are we adequately staffed, um, the need for rebids in some of our departments, and that work, again, is underway. Um, Interpreter services has been a big issue, and um, I'm really pleased with the work that our chief operating officer, Mark Pratsky, is doing to really dive deep and to make sure that those issues are, in fact, um, addressed. There's a lot of appreciation for the fact that the contracts, um, the two big contracts have been resolved and that was acknowledged earlier. But that was a big issue for the staff and they were grateful, they are grateful that the SEIU as well as the CNA contracts have been ratified and that the other contracts that are pending, they're feeling as though the work is being done to make sure that we don't get too far along without having those contracts resolved. So that's been a big issue. Um, Another element um, is appreciation for the rounding that's happening and the communications that's happening. And so there's been a lot of endorsement about what we've been doing as a leadership team to be present and engaged. And so um, 
one of the things I've been saying consistently is that it's important that we seek to understand before we seek to be understood. And so that is something that I've been trying to drive home, and I think it's resonating with the staff. Coming soon, we will be starting um, what we're calling the walks. And literally, we're just going to plan to meet up at Lake Merritt and invite all of the staff and any community members that would be so inclined to come and join us for a walk. And so weather permitting, we're going to do this on Saturdays once a month, um, really about taking care of ourselves and others in creating a holistic and healthy environment and also breaking down barriers and allowing people to um, communicate in a way that they may not have felt was available to them previously. Something else that you will see coming from this administrative team soon is the reinitiation of our departmental meetings on a monthly basis for our leadership team. That's something that was done successfully some years ago and um, for reasons I couldn't say they, they stopped, but there was a, a significant um, hunger for that kind of exchange. And so um, Sharia Johnson from my office, Terry Lightfoot, our PACE director, and others have been working to reestablish the director level monthly meetings. And so you will see that coming soon. I'm going to move to the next slide, please. Organizational chart changes. This is the current org chart, and I've highlighted a few areas that I wanted to call to the trustees' attention. At the very top of the chart, you will see that Dr. Chitra Akili-Swaran is now the president of the East Bay Medical Group. Terribly excited about that. Dr. Akili-Swaran has been on staff as a, a physician in our OBGYN department for over five years. Um, she has significant experience as an entrepreneur and just very talented, and we think that her in that role is going to really take EBMG to the next level. My appreciation to um, Dr. Jamaluddin, who has been the interim in that role, um, but now he can refocus and be our chief medical officer once again, full-time. And um, Dr. Keely Swarren will be taking, she has taken the reins with EBMG, and we're excited about that. Down the chart on the left, you will see the chief quality officer risk accreditation is highlighted in yellow. And um, that is because Dr. Tanvir Hussein has announced his resignation. Dr. Hussein has done a yeoman's job. He's been fantastic in that role. And earlier it was noted that we had the successful Joint Commission surveys and no one person can be attributed with that. But if there's one person who gets a little bit more credit, I would have to say it's uh, Dr. Hussein. He's done an amazing job. He has a great opportunity that he is moving to. And so we, we grudgingly um, wish him success in the future. But I told him personally, the door is always open here at AHS for somebody with talent and the, the personal um, gravity that he brings. And so we're happy for him, not so happy for us. Um, Dr. Jamaluddin is on the line. And I'm going to ask him to talk about um, how he will be managing that in the debt role reports to him. So, Ghassan, can you take a moment and talk about your intentions regarding that role? Uh, th thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Uh, good morning, trustees. So uh, we are working right now on uh, on filling the VP role, which uh, was Dr. Hussein uh, before, and uh, and we are working on the transition plan. So we have started engaging with discussion with the medical directors in quality. I engaged also with discussion, of course, with the uh, 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 trustee Bouquet as a chair of the QPSC committee. So uh, it is work in progress, but uh, we have a path forward. Thank you very much, Dr. Jamaluddin. Moving on, I want to just acknowledge quickly, if you look at the center of the chart at the very bottom, the VP of Strategy and Business Development, 
that role was vacated just prior to my arrival. Um, and that is a role that we do not intend to refill at this time. Um, we reserve the right to, you know, bring somebody into that role. But at this point in time, that will not be filled. And so I just wanted to make the trustees aware of that. Um, next slide, please. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to now turn to um, Mark Kratzky, Interim Chief Operating Officer, and ask that he talk us through this slide and the following one regarding the changes in the Operations Division. Yeah, thank you, James. And this chart here represents the structure when I came. Um, and the yellow highlights um, some vacant positions as well, uh, one being the Vice President for Support Services, which we're in the process of um, interviewing for. Um, along with the Vice President of Transformation, which my intention is not to replace that position at this point. Um, so I, I just want to also say a few things about this structure right here. If you look at it, it represents um, an, a leadership structure around business units. And those business units are acute care, post-acute services, ambulatory, and population health. Um, and from my perspective, um, there's quite a few layers, and I, I'm a believer in a little flatter organization, and I want to talk, maybe we can transition to the next slide a little bit more about that. So a future state, um, and, and this is what I'm working toward, um, and I want to maybe move from left to right, first of all, with nursing. Um, you know, nurses and, and the chief nursing officer have responsibility for nursing practice, nursing research, nursing education. And that's what defines our profession. I'm a nurse as well, and that's what defines our profession. So it needs a tremendous amount of clarity and focus from my perspective. Um, but if you could imagine if it gets focus, experience, we would most likely experience things like low turnover, high engagement, high safety for our patients, many more nurse-driven protocols and guidelines in our organization um, that with the approval of a doctor, nurses can carry out. Um, we also need to continue um, to even amp up, if you will, all of our thinking around taking nursing research and best practices and placing it into our policies and procedures in the way we practice internally. Um, this will allow us too to get fo more focus on really well-trained, educated nurses, even more so than they already are in our organization by developing a real robust department of education, et cetera, under nursing. And, and lastly, you know, nurses, because it's a profession, need to be making as many decisions about their practice on their own as they can. So um, this, by way of, um, you know, moving some of the structure that was under nursing out from under the department, I really believe it'll help the organization develop a really top-notch, best-practice department of nursing. So to the left, that's where I wanted to start. In general, some of my principles around a flatter structure are number one, a flatter structure in my mind will allow better communication. It's more direct, it's more unfiltered, 
it's more clear. Um, you know, it's kind of like the old telephone game when the more layers you go through, the more the communication comes out the other end, not exactly the same as it was intended. Um, I think it's more responsive um, in terms of helping support our leaders. You know, if people have to get a decision made by myself through three or four layers versus two or three, um, my support to the organization and our leadership team would be much quicker. And frankly, I'd like us to become a more nimble, urgent organization. Um, it's also easier for me to um, help the organization understand expectations in our leadership team. Um, also more opportunities for me to do some direct mentoring in support of our leadership team. Um, so all in all, I, I really believe in it from a communications, efficiency, mentoring perspective. Also, you can see the addition of <clears throat> three CAOs and um, my intention is to bring back the CAO position for Highland, San Leandro, and Alameda, and John George, and continue with, of course, Richard Espinoza um, over Post-Acute and Fairmont, okay? And so if we go to the next slide, I want to talk a little bit more about that. There, thank you. So the CAOs, um, I just briefly want to talk about what I see in the role. Um, number one, I want them to be the face of the community of the hospital that they lead. So community ambassadors, if you will. Um, we are going to be moving to site-specific strategies, and we're going to be talking more about that tonight, but there has to be somebody at the site responsible for executing and actualizing any strategy we come up. Also, you're going to hear today about site financials. And I really want somebody overseeing the financial aspects um, at every site. Also to have site quality safety service scorecards and somebody managing those and responsible for those at the site um, will be um, an advantage. And then lastly, just the day-to-day -day operations, collaborating with our physician leaders and collaborating with our nurse leaders. So in this diagram, if you will, you can see the chief nursing officer and her leaders um, there, and all those nursing leaders will report directly to the CNO. We need to systematize nursing practice and standardize it across our system. And then you can see um, the CMO, Dr. Jamaladeen, and physician leads at every site. The dotted lines represent collaboration together, communication together, um, working together at the sites, if you will. Um, so one could expect in the future to have clarity around who's the CAO from a business perspective, who is that nurse leader, and who is that physician leader. So it'll be a triad, if you will, working together at the site to actualize for the community and for our system all the work that needs to be done. So I would expect these CAO roles to be posted within probably the next one to two weeks. I need to look at job descriptions, et cetera. 
but I wanted the trustees to know the direction that our operational unit, if you will, is moving. Okay, and James, I believe that's my last slide. Yes, for now. <laughs> for now. Thank you very much, Mark, yes. Great, trustees, I'm moving to the third element of my presentation, and that is the Huron proposal. Um, Huron is an organization that um, a number of us on the leadership team have some familiarity with. We also have worked previously with um, some of the leaders of this organization, and we feel like they bring an, a level of expertise and um, knowledge of public sex sector institutions like AHS that will be beneficial. Um, we are going to talk about our budget later. Um, Kim Rand is going to do a bit of a deep dive with you, and you will see that we, at this point in time, have a budget gap that we have not closed yet. We are confident that we will. Um, we also believe that Huron and what they will bring will give us a significant boost towards closing the budget gap that's anticipated for fiscal year 22. I think as importantly, uh, Huron is going to be looking at some of the operational issues that have plagued AHS for, for years that will um, drive operational benefits um, for many years to come. So having said that, let's move to the next slide. So again, back to, to the why. Um, we need to accelerate on a, across a broad spectrum of financial as well as process improvement across the organization. Um, we believe that Huron will give the kind of results that will be sustainable and um, replicable so that we will not see just a, a short-term improvement and then have it fall back to the way things have been. So we're looking for sustainable um, practices. Um, we also believe that this can drive anywhere between 20 to $40 million to the bottom line of the organization. And um, we do believe that this, this is a key component of the budget that we're contemplating for the next fiscal year. Next slide. Um, I'm going to ask Mark Kratzky to talk yeah. about the how briefly. Mark? Yeah, thanks, James. So the, the how, um, we really, as James had mentioned, expect this to accelerate the work we're doing on becoming a real disciplined progressive organization around um, um, our finances and our financial gap that we currently currently have we expect it to we expect to be able to leverage and enhance our cultural and operational excellence they will actually help us build the structure around how to manage our operational expenses. Um, we need to, as an organization, move to real-time management of expenses and revenue um, instead of one week, two weeks, one month retrospective looks. Um, over time, productivity, et cetera, has already happened if you look at it a month away. We need to get into the habit of being able to um, be nimble enough, if you will, to manage um, those expenses in real time. And they help provide the structure and the tools for us to be able to do that. They're also very committed to diversity, equity, and inclusiveness. And um, one of the things to know about Huron is that they were named the best place to work for um, LGBTQ um, community and equality. And they were recently earned a perfect 100 on the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's Corporate Equality Index. 
So it was important for us as we looked um, to partner with them that we, we learned more about that. Um, the revenue enhancement and cost improvement, I can see immediately four big buckets of work for them, and I'll articulate those real quick. One is how we manage our labor. Two is our revenue cycle, and I want to recognize Kim Miranda and her team that have done a tremendous amount already on the rev cycle, um, and this will help augment um, and support that work. We have tremendous opportunity in this bucket of supply chain. What do we have on the shelves? How aged is it? Um, and what can we do to reduce um, supplies and standardize supplies in our organization? And I think it'll help um, Dr. Jamaluddin and, and, and Chitra um, with the development of East Bay Medical Group, um, support and structure around that um, as well. Um, they have a strong ha um, track record of working with public entities in California, and I think the next slide, James, will hit on that. Um, we wanted to get somebody in with a budget, new budget starting July 1st um, to be able to get somebody in to help us now so we can bake the reductions and the enhancements into this upcoming year bucket or budget, given how difficult it is to close the gap will help us tremendously. Lastly, I just want to say we're putting them at risk. That's how the contract will be designed, whereas there is no immediate impact on our cash flow, which is good. Um, but risk will probably mean that within the first two months, for example, for every $100 that they improve or change or get to us, they'll get 50 of that. Thereafter, it's more of a one to four probably ratio, but they upload a lot of their expense right up front. So it makes sense for them to do that. But it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big project for us, but one that I believe will help us not only transform the way we do the work in our culture, but give us best practice and clarity around how we can continue to improve. My last comment is that Huron has a long history of not just giving you advice and leaving the organization and the culture goes back to the way it was. Um, they're very intentional about hardwiring and sustaining the work that they do with us over time. So with that, James, I'll turn it back over to you. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mark. Next slide, please. It was very important to us that we um, contemplate a partner who has experience with public hospitals. I think everybody here is well aware of the difference between a public sector organization such as ourselves versus a private sector organization. So I just wanted to share with you some of their successes in comparable systems. Um, and so that's, I won't read the slide to you, if we could scroll down just a little bit. Um, but um, they have worked in both the public and the private sector. And so we were um, favorably impressed with their track record and also their experiences um, in the state of California and with public sector as well as private sector institutions. So that was, uh, we just wanted to throw this up for you. And then if we can move to the next slide, please. I can take Mark. this one, James. Yeah, this yeah. one is just kind of a fun slide because um, when they do come in, we need to think of a, an acronym or a name 
for our um, initiative here. And so these are just some possibilities um, for you to, to gaze at. And I'd welcome other possibilities as well, you guys. So if anybody on the either on the board or, or leaders watching or anybody has a cool acronym that we might name this project, I'd welcome that. So thank you. Great. Uh, next slide, please. At this point, I want to turn to Dr. Minnie Swift. Um, Dr. Swift cringes when I say this, but I consider her to be the tip of the spear in terms of our efforts to um, push the vaccination into the community. She's done an amazing job being supported by Dr. Jamaluddin and others. Um, but I've asked Dr. Swift if she would take a few minutes and walk through what we've done thus far and, as importantly, what uh, the future holds in terms of testing and vaccinations in Alameda County. Dr. Swift. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to provide an update on behalf of our task force. Um, just a warning, there are lots of pictures of James and our team from BB Memorial, uh, the event that we did here as we go along through the slides. Um, first, I just wanted to um, uh, acknowledge that this is World Immunization Week. Um, the theme for the WHO's campaign is vaccines bring us closer. And we are indeed seeing that as more and more people are vaccinated across the nation, the state and the county. Here at AHS, we are celebrating World Immunization Week by focusing on the amazing work of the staff in our post-acute sites. Um, under the leadership of Mr. Richard Espinosa, our um, our post-acute sites were one of the first to establish a contract with Walgreens early on in December and in early January began vaccinating um, patients of AHS, um, resulting in close to 80% of our patients being vaccinated. Um, this week, we're featuring on the internet an amazing story of patients being reunited with their family members as visiting restrictions um, are increasingly relaxed and vaccination um, rates increase. And here you can see the story of Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Duallen visiting at Fairmont. And that story is available on our internet. Next slide, please. So um, it's been about four months since um, since we began vaccinating. And here in the task force, we are thinking about next steps. Um, we recently, on April 12th, ran across this article um, in the advisory board talking about the efforts that an industry leader, Henry Ford Health System, um, had um, done in, in terms of vaccinations. It was a pretty short article, but very elegant in its simplicity and a quick checklist for what any organization could be doing. We took the opportunity to do a quick compare and contrast between AHS and Henry Ford Health System, which I understand is roughly five to six times the size of AHS, um, and currently led by our former CEO, Wright Lasseter III. Um, so I wanted to quickly take you through a very high level compare and contrast of what we found. Next slide, please. So here you can read this faster than I can talk, but in, we can see that in all categories, staff vaccinations, patient vaccinations, strategies, FEMA partnerships, and activities around vaccine awareness and advocacy, um, we are doing exactly the same things. Um, we all started with vaccinating our staff. Um, in the article, um, they commented that initially they had only reached um, 
at Henry Ford a vaccination rate of 55% and had to um, engage with numerous strategies um, to promote vaccination among the staff. Um, here at AHS, we currently have seen that 67% of our staff have received their first vaccination and approximately 64% are fully vaccinated. We think that number is slightly higher because um, folks are now able to get vaccines in the county, in the community. And so we're encouraging staff to send in the records as well. In terms of patient uh, vaccinations, I just listed a short compare and contrast. Um, you know, we've all provided vaccinations in our clinics, had community activities. Here you can see at AHS, we have initiated vaccines at our four post-acute sites, four ambulatory sites. Four inpatient sites are Highland ED, John George PES, Mobile Clinic, and we also were able to organize a community activity uh, vaccination at BB Memorial Cathedral. We recently met with uh, the chief physician officer at um, Henry Ford this past Wednesday and learned that um, they have stopped their inpatient vaccinations because of the uh, wide availability of uh, vaccine in the community um, and the incredible resources that was required to provide um, this to a small number of folks on the inpatient services. Um, they're a little different in their size and they were able to really stand up FEMA partnerships, these FEMA sites within Michigan. Um, but we too have, um, through Alameda Hospital, had the opportunity to form an alliance with FEMA and became their dedicated site for bloodborne pathogen um, injuries, these needle stick injuries when they occurred. Um, and like Henry Ford, we too have um, vaccine awareness and advocacy um, activities. We have a dedicated work group that is um, has multidisciplinary representation from leaders and uh, community health workers from across the organization and are currently in a six-week last push campaign to vaccinate our staff. Next slide, please. The article talked about the importance of data, and I just wanted to show off the incredible reports that our BI team under the leadership of Mark Amy, Pam Seichow, and Pam Seichow have developed for us. Koi Lee is the, the lead um, person who has developed these um, reports. Um, we are able to track in EPIC and in our BI reports our daily um, patient vaccinations. Um, one of the things that we're most proud about is this equity report for um, our vaccination rates. And I know our board and leadership have been very curious about how we're doing. Um, I just wanted to point out that the top... Um, top chart is mislabeled. This is not gender. This is um, what we're seeing here is age, the age distribution. We also see the race ethnicity distribution and we can see that the majority of the patients that we have vaccinated are coming from communities of color. And you can also see the gender distribution here as well. These are updated every day and available um, for staff on the BI, um, BI website. Next slide, please. We're also able to track our daily administrations by brand, by site, by like facility, by department. I just wanted to show you the snapshot in time. It coincidentally begins on February 20th just because that is the um, what I could fit on the slide. Um, you could see the steady increase here in our vaccination rate. Um, here we've seen all three um, first dose, second dose, and that pink section is when we were using Janssen. We're currently in a pause. Unfortunately, we're seeing um, what we're experiencing nationwide and countywide, which is a decreased rate 
in vaccine um, acceptance. We currently, um, there's something extraordinary going on on Mondays. We're suddenly in the month of April able to do more vaccinations on Mondays. Um, but however, we are seeing a general trend in our um, wellness centers. We're approximately now at a 10% no-show rate for vaccinations. Um, and the teams are working on mitigation strategies. Next slide, please. I wanted to discuss um, just a quick review of what I've shared before, some of our biggest challenges. And this was what um, Henry Ford, um, the folks at Henry Ford also commented on. We have all seen a lot of administrative documentation requirements um, as a significant challenge for us. We need to collect so much data um, about um, uh, the patients being vaccinated. The cold storage requirements cannot be said enough. Um, and then this data collection piece, we are collecting data in Axion for our employees, Epic for our patients, and using a variety of Excel sheets to, 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 to um, track other types of data. Um, the state immunization registry, CARES2, has also had some problems. So we, while we are submitting data, it has been difficult for us to understand who has been vaccinated. Operational bandwidth, of course, uh, remains a challenge. Here you can see at our BB Memorial site, this picture, this is our pharmacy leadership. Um, we were able to vaccinate uh, 1,155 people over two days with just six days of planning. Um, however, it required five people on the first day and six people on the second day to rapidly preload those um, syringes. So here, this was our pharmacy tent and they sat there for approximately five to six hours just drawing the syringes and you can see the box down at their feet. Targeted outreach, um, creating strategies to really reach out to the patients of Alameda Health System and those most impacted by COVID have been a challenge. And of course, vaccine demand and managing the initial demand and now the hesitancy that we see um, have been um, challenges. Next slide, please. I wanted to quickly list some operational lessons we've learned. Um, and these were mentioned in the article as well. You know, really having to make decisions quickly, sometimes within just a few hours. Um, the realization that it takes a village. We have had to pull resources from every corner of AHS. Um, that has been thrilling and that has been um, something that we continue to do as well. Um, like Henry Ford, um, the experience of our staff vaccination clinics really informed our patient vaccination operations. Um, at BB Memorial, much of our success came from the learnings of our mobile van. Um, that team began vaccinating patients in homeless shelters um, in early April, beginning in the city of Alameda. Um, and through the lessons learned, we were able to design a system where we were able to accommodate so many people in such a short amount of time. Um, the digital divide, um, they also commented about this, you know, we were unable to just simply rely on My Alameda Health and the patient portal and really much of our success has been dependent on individual phone calls and they have really been the most effective form of outreach for the communities that we serve. Um, our ambulatory team, that HOOT outreach team under the leadership of Catherine Horner and um, Natalie Curtis, uh, Dr. Curtis, their focus on zip code, um, zip codes and uh, particular populations um, are really the key drivers for the success that we are seeing in our equity reports. 
And of course, community partnerships. Um, our PACE team has been so instrumental in developing the resources and relationships that we need um, to reach out to the patients in our communities. Finally, what we've, we've learned, um, which is true for everything in healthcare, is that the total experience needs to be positive. Um, everything from um, how we deliver information, how we have those personalized communications to address hesitancy, um, what people do when they're standing in line or waiting to get an appointment, and then how we um, engage them with uh, during those 15 minutes when we're um, asking them to wait. I just wanted to focus on some of the successes of Ambulatory. They have been so nimble and creative, um, really having um, a mass, they call it a mass um, packing uh, strategy. So while folks are waiting in our wellness centers um, for their vaccine, those obligatory 15 or 30 minutes, the team is also using that opportunity to review opportunities for um, various screenings and laboratory tests. And we've seen an increase in intake there. Next slide. As we think about um, this um, current state that we find ourselves in, um, I think there are certain lessons for AHS uh, that I just wanted to point out. Um, when we think about how these vaccines were developed, um, the creativity and nimbleness that was um, that the FDA and uh, the feds used in the development of the vaccines so that we could quickly, within the first year of the pandemic, release them, they reorganized some of um, the ways that we, instead of having a sequential um, way of assessing safety, they were able to do several traditional activities uh, at the same time. And as we think about that, what are the lessons here that we have at AHS? What are the opportunities that we have to reorganize um, the care that we provide patients while maintaining safety? Um, it cannot be, uh, next, it cannot be said enough how much uh, teamwork impacts our success. Um, we, early on in December, we're hearing that we were going to get the vaccine, but we're not exactly sure um, when on the date that we were going to receive it. We initially were told that we would get one case, one pizza size box of Pfizer, and we received three times that amount. The team was able to rally uh, to develop storage capability and initiate vaccine delivery within 24 hours of the arrival of the vaccine to the Highland campus. Um, similarly, another extraordinary event um, in late March, um, the BB Memorial Cathedral leadership, Pastor Hames seen here, and uh, Mr. Jackson received word from the governor's office uh, that we had the unique opportunity to provide um, vaccinations at the cathedral. We had six days to plan for vaccinating a thousand people in a parking lot, something that we had never done before. The team rallied and over 40 staff members within AHS were able to um, exceed that goal. Another concept, um, the concept of equity. I know that is a very important topic for our leaders here that is core to our mission. Um, we have seen over and over again, as we discuss, as we discuss um, the um, opportunities for um, vaccination and the concept of hesitancy, how does that um, apply to other aspects of care? Patients' willingness to receive um, uh, diabetic care, hypertensive care within AHS and healthcare in general. 
lastly, um, we've learned the importance of public health and community organizations. Hey, Minnie. Yeah. You 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 had a freeze for. Will you rewind about thirty seconds? There was a little bit of a freeze. Sure. Just a minute too. You're on mute. Sorry about that. I'm not no, controlling no the slides. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So lastly, just wanted to share with you the next steps for our task force. We will be, you know, you can see the principles that we will be championing here. Um, we are going to be reassessing the role of AHS in the ongoing public health response as we um, see this decrease in demand. Um, we will be critically assessing the future of inpatient and ED vaccinations as we resume um, vaccinations with uh, Johnson & Johnson. Um, in the coming week. Uh, we will continue to be building uh, confidence in vaccines and addressing hesitancy. Um, but as I mentioned, we'll now switch to planning for that transition in usual care, to usual care and um, vaccinating younger and younger patients. And that's it. Thank you, Dr. Swift. Great presentation. Um, Mr. Jackson, anything else to close out this agenda item before we go to Q&A? No, um, I think we've presented a lot of material here and um, I'm, I'm just anxious to hear feedback from the trustees. So thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, if you, uh, yeah, thank you very much. So um, trustees on this agenda item B2, it was broken up nicely into four pieces. I'm gonna remind us what the four pieces are and then I'll offer it up for a Q&A for each piece to kind of keep us a little bit organized. Uh, uh, in block one, we heard our CEO talk about he how he has uh, directed a re-engagement of AHS, including his rounding, and he gave some empiric metrics on his rounding and talked about the culture amongst his COO and the CMO and, and, and his executive team for rounding. In, in block two, we heard about the org chart and, and what looks to be uh, uh, moves to lean out the org charts with the goal of making us a more agile organization. In block three, we've heard about the, Hur uh, the Huron firm, which is basically going to help us uh, with the ostensible goal of helping us get some of the money back um, uh, that, that, uh, or get money that, that, that we've not been able to get. It's, it's sort of an at-will, uh, at-risk uh, contract a little bit expensive in the beginning, but we're not. it's not affecting our budget, maybe 50 cents on the dollar, moving to 25 cents on the dollar. And last, we heard about um, uh, COVID led by Dr. Swift for the organization and interfacing with the county. So I'm gonna go, go back and ask trustees if they have any questions. On block one, um, uh, Mr. Jackson's uh, presentation of how he's re-engaged AHS and the metrics on how he's visited people. So trustees, any comments on this item? Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing the, you know, findings from the culture of safety. Um, I think um, that the, the 
surroundings and and actually being face to face with those who provide the care is like so critical at this point in time and hearing directly from the folks so every time we've talked about like what is the top issue that faces folks and trust has been something that has come up again and again and again so so much of this work is rebuilding trust and kind of doing away with the kind of scorched earth policy of retribution and punitiveness and like being able to listen to the solutions from those who are closest to the problem so um hopefully like that will be built into like not just something you do in the first 100 days but something that is becomes like norm of your like uh, your your own structure of your working days as well. This is really good to hear and good to know that the results of this will be shared in a thoughtful way throughout the levels of the organization for folks to know that this is ju just culture and that when people surface problems, they will not, uh, they can do that with some degree of safety. <clears throat> Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Other trustees on the comments, uh, Trustee Spondorio. All right, James. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe I have, let me start with an uh, easy question. On your listening tour, who else has accompanied you? Ratsky has been accompanying me, and Dr. Jamaluddin has also, um, on a number of occasions, accompanied All right, well, then I'll, maybe I can ask it to all three of you, and you can decide who answers first or second or last. So what have you heard? Hmm. I will go first, um, and I was fairly high level in my initial comments. Um, one of the things that I heard that's very specific and granular that was upsetting to me, alarming, um, at John George, there is a sense of divisiveness between different ethnicities, and specifically it is African employees versus African-American employees. And I have to be honest, I've never heard of such a divide before, but there is a lot of energy around the perceived um, conflict between these two cultures. And so um, we are actively working on that. Um, so that's something that is very granular, um, Trustee Splendorio, but it's it's something that I think had I not gone there and kind of gotten some FaceTime with these folks, I just don't know that that would have come to my attention the way that it has. Um, also, fear of retaliation. Um, and so that's something that um, Trustee Banerjee just kind of alluded to. Um, and for reasons that I can't speak to, there is a high sense of um, trepidation about raising your voice and speaking your truth among the employees. And that's something that um, I find troubling and it has to be addressed. And so that is very high on my priority list. And so the trust that um, trust issue that um, Trustee Banerjee alluded to, really trying to rebuild trust in the organization and the faith that folks can speak their truth and that they will not be um, punished for having the, the audacity to do so. I'll stop there and um, ask Mark or Gassan if they have things they'd like to add. I, James, all those I've heard as well. Um, another emotion, if you will, that is quite consistent is this um, ab an abundance of happiness about seeing leaders um, and being able to speak with leaders um, a lot of thankfulness and gratitude around that, um, just a tremendous amount. And, and for that, I appreciate everybody we've, we've contacted. There's also um, 
there's also a, a, what I would call um, an abundance of, of scarcity thinking um, that through the years working within um, their departments, you know, things have been tight, things haven't been approved, um, people they believe haven't been moved out. Um, and I just, I hear quite a bit of that. So, you know, it's all about, it's so much of it is about listening and then trying to inspire some hope that we're going to address things. Um, we're trying to be really good at following up on the issues that we hear because without follow-up, we lose the trust. So there's been a lot of, a lot of follow-up that has occurred on all these issues um, as we hear them. So it, it's taking a lot of time right now, but it's of tremendous value to me. And I know James as well to help us understand and, and Gassan to help us understand the organization and, and what our quick fixes can be. Thank you. So, do, do, oh, very good. Thank you, Dr. Jay. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Trustee Splendorio, for the question. Uh, I share the same thing. Uh, uh, I. Uh, you know, issues are brought up, of course, during these these rounds, and uh, but also like positive uh, issues, also positive findings. I would call not positive issues, but positive findings or positive emotions are also brought up. Also, it is extremely important for us as a leader to hear firsthand from the front line on on uh, on a regular basis. So I share the same sort of findings and sentiments. And, uh, you know, based on this, really, our next phase, we really have to work very effectively on, on actualizing the just culture in order to have uh, the emotional, uh, what we call the psychological safety, the, the emotional and cognitive uh, psychological safety for, for, for our uh, year and our front line. Thank you very much. And one final question, if I may. Of course. Um, I very much appreciate the emails uh, letting us know when you will be making visits. And mostly James, I get it from Shuri, I guess, is the one who sends out the the uh, emails. Um, but I will tell you, um, I mean, I would love to join one of those, but I, I just, it just feels uncomfortable because of the situation we're in. But if you tell me it's it's appropriate or, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole COVID thing, could you tell me that or if there's a, a, a time in the future I, I mean i would love to do that and even though I, i'm sure i'll be a fish out of water in, in an environment like that but um i just I felt hesitant because of you know we're not supposed to be going to certain places and doing certain things and and i just felt that as a having a having a trust trustees also attend would be something that could further the the, the goal of your listening tour I, I really am grateful for you asking the question. I would welcome that. I mean, obviously, um, the infection prevention protocols have to be followed, but I, I see no reason why you and the other trustees could not join us when we're doing the rounds. And so um, I will work with Sharia, but um, please know that you are more than welcome to join myself and Mark and um, Gassan when we're out doing our rounding. Thank you. Trustee Splendoria, thanks for that uh, question, which inspired some great dialogue. Trustee Blue, hi. Hi. Am I? Okay, good. I'm off. So um, thank you for this report. Um, I really like the fact, uh, Mark, where you talked about how you want to serve as a mentor as well, because I really do think 
our middle managers, you know, as things change very quickly, not everybody is trained in human, you know, human right. resources, right? So I think it's really good that you're doing that. And then in terms of making rounds, we should definitely continue that because we have to build a team, not only amongst ourselves and the senior leadership staff, but also with line staff that they have to see that they're part of the solution. And thanks, uh, Splen, for asking if we can go and accompany the rounds, because I would like to do that. Um, and because I used to be a nurse and worked at a county hospital and worked for uh, SCIU, I may have some other insights mm -hmm. and can ask questions that dig a little bit deeper, if that's appropriate. But thank very you. good. Thank you. Very thank good. you. Great comments, Trustee Blue. Um, Trustee Fox, did you have a question? Uh, my question is about the second block. Yes, sir. Uh, we're, we're about to close out this uh, item on, on, the re on the rounding. What, what, what I'll say is uh, I see this as one of those uh, evolutions of the culture shift, you know, doing the Gemba. For, uh, uh, what a model for our leaders, including at the board level. I, uh, uh, many of the trustees have engaged and done the walk and done the gamba. I know Trustee Esteen has plugged a lot of hours and you know walked through a couple of soles of shoes doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, and that happens at the CEO level. And what a model for us. And what what is kind of cool, uh, Mr. Jackson, is you've sort of empiricized it for us because there's hours and time behind that. And I think there's a there's an obvious payoff. So. What a great model that, that you are showing and then and, and with, that your team is trying. So I'd say, please keep doing it, sir. And it's, it's, it's also a model for us as trustees and as to Trustee Splendorio. Thank you for that question. Uh, that we, we all need to be engaged to know what we're talking about. So I'll close out questions around item one. Uh, uh, now, uh, Trustee Fox, item two was discussions around org chart. Um, my question uh, is uh, going back to the article, uh, Harvard Business Review article, uh, that uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet talked about at the beginning and the need for at least the board to uh, emphasize strategy. I'm just wondering what the thinking is behind not filling the vacant VP of strategy and business development position. Yes. And I'm sorry. No, sir. I said good question. Good question. Yes. Um, the Really, um, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I feel like we're kind of at the base of the pyramid right now. And um, we need a strategic plan going forward. We are at the end of the last strategic plan. And I am talking with external um, consultants and leaders in strategic planning development. And so I, I think in my comments, I reserve the right to fill that position going forward, but I really want to be mindful about how best to build the strategic plan for the future. And so I'm waiting on filling that position until I've had the kind of feedback and the opportunity to really synthesize the, the information that I'm getting um, and how we really optimally fill that position. And so thank you for that question. But um, I, I think my caveat was I reserve the right to re return to that position once we've done the, the work underway now. Well, okay, just to follow up on that, what do, you th what do you see as the horizon for filling that position? I mean, because I can understand if it 
if we're looking at a couple of months, uh, that's one thing. But if we're looking at, uh, you know, hopefully is a position in the 2022 budget. I guess that's a that's and would you expect that that would be filled sometime early in the in the next fiscal year? Mm-hmm. We do not have it in the budget at this time. We've not closed the budget, but certainly what we have done is that any position that's remained open for a certain period of time, we've asked all leaders to take those positions out of the budget. Um, that doesn't mean that we could not go back and revisit that. But um, applying the same rigor to ourselves that we're asking the other leaders to do, that position has been taken out. Um, but um, I also would just offer that given the dialogue this morning with Supervisor Chan and then some of the subsequent comments from the trustees about um, the need to move forward with, um, well, to stop acting like an interim to a certain extent um, and do certain things. And so um, message received. I, I will do that and we will initiate the strategic planning process. And obviously the trustees will do what they must in regards to, to my role. Um, but I heard very clearly that we should move forward with the strategic planning process, and that's what I intend to do. Okay. Just one more comment on that, because I, I would really hate to to hear five or six months from now that we have to wait for fiscal 23 uh, before we have money in the budget for that, what I think is a very critical position for us. Understood. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, question, Trustee Fox. Trustees, looking for hands. <laughs> Uh, Trustee Blue, uh, we're uh, yeah back to Org Park. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so just to follow up on what um, Alan posed around the VP for strategic, whatever the position is called, what I heard, I think it was from Mark, was how he wants to have a more flat leadership structure so that we can be more nimble and make decisions um, quicker. So my question, and... It's just a question for now, because we still do have a lot of leadership, right? Directors of different CAOs, whatever. But do we need a VP for a strategic thing when we have this management team already? Like, what would this position offer is what I'm going to ask. Yeah, James, maybe I can take a shot at that. I think um, James had mentioned that he res- he's reserving that right, if you will, to bring that VP position or some other type of position back, number one. Uh-huh. Strategy is one of those things that hospitals, um, they have different models for it. Um, some have VP type of strategy um, positions. Others will say, well, you know what? Strategy is the responsibility of the executive team. Um, working together to develop a strategic plan. And they might bring in a, a quick hit facilitator to help them through um, the, process, the actual process for two to three months. Um, in the end, the senior team working with the leadership team has to actualize that, that um, plan, right? So there, there are just different ways to, um, I don't know, put legs under strategic planning within an organization. And to James's point early and to Trustee Fox's uh, recommendation, there's different ways to do it. And I think we're trying to evaluate that now. Thank you. Other trustees on this, on this point? Trustee, uh, Trustee Jensen. 
thank you. Um, on this point, I just wanted to make one comment, and that is um, that I'm just very, very sad and um, to hear the news. For sad for the organization to hear the news of the transition of Dr. Tamber Hussein, and I appreciate um, that you shared it, and I appreciate that I have this venue to just thank Dr. Hussein for all the tremendous work that he's done leading the quality uh, as the VP for quality for the organization and leading this organization to become a, a high quality patient centered organization and sharing of information with leadership and with this board. So good luck to you, Dr. Hussein. Tr Trustee Jensen, uh, thank you for those comments. Uh, Dr. Hussein's last day is Friday, May 28th. So I've already promised we were gonna we are gonna give many more opportunities to embarrass him uh, publicly uh, with our celebrations. Uh, so he'll be attending quality and full board next month. So reserve reserve that and we'll bring that back out again if that's okay with you. Um, uh, to to end, uh, I, uh, are there any other comments from trustees before we close out this item two from our CEO, uh, Trustee Dong? Oh, I'm sorry, are we on block four? Uh, no, we're just talking. We're just talking about the org chart part of his okay. thing. We're going to end with COVID. Uh, my comments on the org chart is uh, what I appreciate from our COO is he he sort of gave the vision uh, for what he wants to accomplish, which is a more agile uh, decision making organization. Or and, and of course he uh, our CEO and COO. So th this is this is what has been contemplated to achieve that uh, a flatter organization. So I love that he's. Uh, uh, express what he wants to achieve, and then then we see if this is the right way to execute it. So I think we have uh, plenty of room to work. I think I saw Trustee Banerjee gently raise her hand. <laughs> I know we're out of time, but I just wanted to kind of reiterate that um, how glad I am to see how the uh, the site level CEOs happen. They are the glue that holds everything together and connects with the ELT team. And I saw the benefit of having James as the CAO at San Leandro and and um, Alameda too, because it's an ecosystem of support you do. It's not just what happens within the walls of the hospital, but the, you are an ambassador in the community and you're building those relationships. And I also saw the the lack of it when when we went into a centralized um, way of how unresponsive sometimes the uh, system could be um, to local needs to local changes and so we'll see how this works out but and how you know cost neutral and all of that that you're thinking of on, on so many levels as we are doing that but really glad to see a structure that puts both quality, patient care, finances, strategy, at uh, you know, lifts that up at the local level, so that even as we are trying to get systemness, we are adapting to like local circumstances and designing for that as well. So thank you. Yeah, like a neural network, right? Uh, uh, rather than these old school hierarchical messages. This is a neural network. So I'll close out discussion around item two. Item three of the report was around Huron. Again, this uh, 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 a firm to help us manage our revenue cycle. I guess uh, my, my, my comments are that uh, Mr. Frasky commented that, that, that this is an at risk, which is nice because it's not in our budget. 50 cents on the dollar coming out of the gates and then maybe backtracking down to 25 cents on the dollar. Uh, Mr. Frasky or Mr. Jackson, how, how, do we, how do we know, how do we differentiate 
what we were going to get ourselves versus them taking credit for what we were going to get on ourselves. Because yep. it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, so there has to be extreme clarity right from the beginning on what initiatives were ours and that were born internally on our behalf in which new initiatives they're introducing to help us. And we'll part and parcel those initiatives um, and get clarity on what their initiatives are saving us or generating for us. Um, in order to govern that, we're putting in place a, um, a structure um, where we'll have Huron, a couple members of Huron with a few members of Alameda Health System manage the plan um, in terms of how we're executing on things. There will be another small group that works on what I just described, Trustee Bouquet, and that is what initiatives um, were ours and what initiative are yours and what this month was the savings. So we're, we're putting in the, the structure, if you will, to be able to manage it all. But there will be extreme clarity right from the beginning about what it is they've brought to the game and what we've had in place. And if I may add to that, um, of course, sir. there was, um, well, I encourage um, healthy dissent. That's just my leadership style. And there was not a unanimous um, endorsement initially of doing this work on the ELT for, for the reasons that you just uh, raised. And I will tell you that um, Kim Rhonda, to her credit, has been extraordinarily clear about being, we, our team being prescribed about where these folks are going to be working, what their swim lanes are, and what will be attributable to them versus what was already in the works elsewhere in the organization so that we will not um, give them credit for work that, frankly, is not theirs or that we already had underway. So um, that is something that um, is built into the contract and that we will be watching very closely to make sure that there is not false attribution, if you will. Yes, sir. I, I hope it's not presumptuous of me to presume that, that the details of this discussion will be interfaced nicely with our board finance chair and so, so that, that, that she'll be apprised of the details and then she can disperse that and, and agendize that as, at, 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 at discussion of finance. Is that, is that appropriate? Indeed. Okay. Uh, Trustee Splendorio. Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, so a question for James and Mark uh, on this Huron proposal, um, which, uh, you know, I know you'll, you'll push it, you know, you'll push it through for this finance or if you need approval or, or maybe you don't need approval, but I'm, I guess I'm most, my biggest question is what sort of investment will be required of, of us to implement any of the changes or recommendations that might come out of the engagement? I mean, and I'm, you know, I think I've made a comment several months ago about, and I've noticed in the, in the financial reports that our CapEx, you know, we obviously did not spend it, maybe for good reason, but, um, it, you know, my experience is that we'll need to put some investment in our infrastructure, you know, um, to yeah. achieve some sort of predict productivity gains or cost savings. And should we, or should you think about, um, you know, the CapEx budget to implement? It's a great question. And I think um, some of the initiatives that they introduce to us are going to be freebies, right? It's just about 
how do you, here's a tool. If you use this tool, you can manage X better. And, yep. um, but some initiatives could have a cost. Um, and, you know, before we dive into it, in, any initiative, we need to understand that cost benefit of doing that. And I know that's my commitment in doing this. Um, there might be some short-term expense for a long-term gain. I don't know that, but it's, but we, we just need to um, dig deep, I guess, into any initiative that's proposed. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I, I mean, I've just just in my limited exposure here, it's been noted. I mean, I've noticed that that our um, technology infrastructure—not no, that's probably a wrong word—but you know, we we're not cutting edge. Not nor do we need to be, but but perhaps we should be have been spending some money to improve our yeah. technology. Yeah. To, to be on to be honest, um, uh, Trustee Splendoro, the the the. Um, the work is more around process than it is um, equipment or hard costs. It's more about how do we have a highly efficient revenue cycle, it, okay. you know, and Thank what's you. the process associated with that. And, you know, they may say to, to Kim and all of us that, hey, you, if you would add an FTE in this spot, you'd get these huge gains. Um, and so we just need to understand that. Okay. I got it. Excuse me. I'm sorry, Trustee. Just one thing I would add to what Mark said is that the initial part of their engagement is what they referred to as getting under the hood. Because without us being engaged with them and having the the necessary um, agreements in place, they really are outside looking in and making projections. They're going to come in and do a deep dive once we have the agreements, and then they will tell us where they think the real opportunities are and where they want to focus. And they will have the opportunity to, you know, identify what investments we want to make. Um, and if we can't do it, we won't, but if we can, and it's going to have the kind of return that we think is appropriate, then we would contemplate making those sorts of investments. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Trustee Slendoro, Madam finance chair. Hi. Hey, where are we in the process of this contract? Go ahead, Mark. Um, they have presented to us their capabilities and where they think they could help us. Um, we have, and, and so it's it's I, what I consider fairly, not early, but early in a way. Um, and we have now exchanged, but have not yet yet signed um, non disclosure agreements. So that's kind of the point that we're at right now. Trustee team. So what does that mean for uh, signing the agreement, completing the negotiation, and bringing it to the Finance Committee? What's the timeline on that? Um, if, it, if it needs to come up through that route, which maybe, James, that's a discussion you need to have yet with the board in terms of whether it needs to be approved going up through the board, um, I would expect within the the June May maybe May but I don't think so yet we've not received a contract um, trustee no. esteen so my guess could be maybe the June maybe to have it expected at that point if it needs to go there yeah and so what I would offer and this was brought today as informational and being transparent the nature of this agreement is such as that it really does fall within the, the prayer view of, of myself as the CEO. And so 
it was not being presented as something for board approval necessarily as much as being transparent and letting you know the process that we're engaging in to optimize and improve our efficiency and to close the budget gap. And so um, it was not my intent to move this as an approval item to the trustees, but more so to make sure that you are aware and engaged in what we were doing. Um, but certainly I'm open to feedback from the trustees about that. The reason I ask about that is just because uh, the finance committee is charged with reviewing and recommending actions to the full board on contracts and grants. And that is a direct quote from the finance committee charter. So if I'm mistaken that this is a contract, I just, it sounds like the kind of thing that would come to the finance committee. I understand purview of the CEO. And trustee Esteen, uh, trustee Bucat, if I may take that. So yeah. um, generally contracts come through the board. There's a dollar threshold, it's $1 million. So it's a million dollar contract. A one million one dollar contract, then it would come to the board. Uh, uh, here, I think what's happening is sort of like a commission base. So we're not actually spending money here. Uh, if, if I'm getting that right, Mark. That's correct. Yeah. So, so yeah. it didn't trigger the threshold. Right. Correct. Okay. Would so, you say that? Uh, it, uh, uh, because there's no upfront cost, it didn't trigger the threshold. Um, um, so that that's sort of the thinking of the process. Um, but the point that trustee has seen brings up a good one. And this is why we seek to have clarity with this is why we're going to talk about at the end of the day, board performance, what are kind of setting expectations for communication, what items meet threshold because, uh, you know, Mr. Jackson's running a $1.1 billion organization. There are, you know, 5,000 contracts, not 5,000 literally, but, you know, there's a, there's a ton of contracts going in and we can't sign off on everyone. So having clarity around that and we'll again have that discussion. So I hope yeah. everyone appreciates this part of our dialogue. Yeah, Just, I do want to also add that mentioning a performance approval goal of 20 to 40 million, even if we get to a quarter of that, the one to four ratio, that would be five to 10 million. So... That would hit the threshold, and I appreciate transparency a great deal. Uh, I just want to make sure that we are being fully transparent here and adhering to our own charter. Yeah, got it. Um, Trustee Bouquet, there's just Perfect. one more comment I'd, I'd like to make, and the, the engagement with Huron is one significant initiative around probably 10 that we have going on internally that Kim Miranda, our CFO, will probably talk about today. But every initiative we have, we've attached a price tag to, if you will. Um, for example, our, our length of stay initiative may be worth $10 million. We've got all of these different internal initiatives that we're carrying out to become a more high-quality, effective, efficient organization. So... To just give some perspective, this is one of several that we need to be able to execute on this coming year and that the Finance Committee will be hearing about. Thank you, Mr. Fratsky. Trustee Esteen, are we good on this point? At this? We are good. Thank you. Trustees, other comments on number three, Huron? Let's take it to the last one. Well, we, had a, we heard a COVID presentation, and I know Trustee Dong. Where is Trustee Dong? Oh, there she is, right in the middle, of course. Trustee Dong, you had some questions uh, on um, 
uh, or, or questions or comments on our COVID part of this presentation. Um, thank you, Taft. Um, Dr. Swift, thank you so much for the presentation. Really, really appreciate it because this this is about the primary our, one of our primary businesses of Alameda Health System. I just want to confirm the results of the slide. The slide that says outcomes, uh, equity, those are our results. Is that correct? Our vaccination results that we're seeing? Correct. Those are only the patient results. Those are not the employee results. And um, one of the sections is mislabeled as gender instead of age. Uh, I just want to compliment this work and everyone who's working on the vaccination process, because this is one of the few charts, you know, in my day job, I see a lot of this vaccination data um, from uh, Dr. Freeman Garrick, one of our own, and uh, on a countywide level. And this is one of the few times I've seen the vaccination chart by demographic ethnicity uh, reflect the data of those most affected by COVID-19. Normally, it's flipped in terms of vaccination, completely 100% flipped. And this is one of the few times I've seen it affect the correct populations in the right order. So hats off to you all. And um, I mean, Dr. Freeman Garrick will tell you, we go through it every two weeks. So I really want to appreciate the work you've done and, and that you've done it with such integrity to produce these kind of results. And that includes the BB Memorial Vaccination Clinic, which I understand, and this is a tough thing to do, to affect the population intended for the vaccination clinic and at the same time provide uh, respect and dignity to those who wish to come from other parts of our larger community but thank you for affecting the target population with such uh, dignity and respecting the rest of our community those those are my comments thank Chair. you trustee Dong. great comments um other trustees on the COVID presentation uh trustee banerjee i see the hand out Thank you, Ted. Um, thank you, Dr. Swift. We always know when there's things, that, when there's something to be done that's complex and complicated, get Dr. Swift on it. You are really amazing at like harnessing and getting things moving. And so thank you so much. It's just been really great to see um, the data and to really see how much um, pulling off resources from everywhere, like you said, and rethinking new ways of doing things, sometimes not in a linear way, but in parallel, having some of those processes happening, all the learnings that you're doing, but also in ways that uh, the team has to has had to step up the bandwidth that's been needed while doing all of the other work as well. So um, really great uh, to see that, and thank you to you and the team. Um, in terms of that last, you know, like getting the early adopters and the folks who are already wanting to get the vaccine as like you get those out. And now as you're dealing with the hesitancy, both within the staff team, as well as in the community, what, what are some ways in which AHS is working on those specifically? So it's really, um, thank you so much um, for all of your support. Um, I, I just want to say it cannot be said enough. Um, the wealth of creativity, knowledge, and nimbleness that lies within our AHS 
uh, staff. Um, the core backbone of these activities are supported by our pharmacy team. Um, our executive team's um, passion for equity, we, it's just, we don't always see that in, all, in other organizations. Um, Dr. Jamaluddin's mandate that we vaccinate as many people as fast as possible has been um, so helpful. And the equity results that we see here, I think, are largely driven by the genius of individuals in ambulatory and the leadership of Catherine Horner and that leadership team. Um, I would say now as we focus on um, the population of people that may need more information, this is where we um, we can depend on um, the, the strategies that we use for anyone um, as they are expressing hesitancy about therapeutic interventions that are in their best interest. Um, we know from decades of HIV um, research and literature that the best way to persuade people is through a series of small conversations really around peer coaching. Um, I think the hard and interesting part of the, and I, I think frankly, um, gratifying work ahead of us is really now engaging in understanding why, why people are hesitant. Um, a critical component of equity is really it's the difference between equality. You know, equality is presenting everybody with the information. Equity, as you all know, is really some, I, respecting the idea that some people need additional resources. Um, so we are putting together a plan. Um, we have um, several strategies. So we will have more passive, um, passive invitations to talk about the um the vaccine, um, our uh, PACE team has designed with partnership in our emergency department leadership some pins to, uh, you know, encourage people to ask us about the COVID um, vaccination. We have stickers that we can wear on our badge just to remind people um, who has been vaccinated and that we're here to talk about it. We have a variety of resources that we can share with our managers and smile huddles um, and with our patients. We also have created a, a group of trusted messengers. We know that, you know, where you hear the message matters, that trust and empathy that is a cornerstone of trust, we want to leverage that. And so we have a group of trusted messengers that we have available for our patients and for our staff. Um, we also are exploring ways in which we can partner with our community and public health. We know that our patients are in the community, we need the help of other organizations who are talking to our patients. Um, and this is what I meant by that joint partnership to really get in to the community and provide more information. Um, we also um, are looking for ways to spread the word about our capacity. Every day at the Highland Campus, we have walk-in capacity. Appointments are not required for AHS patients. Um, anyone with a medical record number can come in and be seen, receive Pfizer from 8 a.m. to 12.30, Monday through Saturday. Assigned patients can come to our wellness sites. Um, we will resume um, vaccinations in our emergency department and inpatient services. So we will need assistance really thinking through how to get that message out. That's what we're working on. Thank you, Dr. Swift. Um, trustees, any other, I see trustee Jensen's hand up. 
thank you. Um, and thank you to Dr. Swift and your entire team. The, uh, the, uh, the vaccine program it requires so much work, so the quick startup of, of sites, the moving sites both within the system and partnering with other organizations, as well as the extensive documentation. This is something that is all, it's, it's new, but it's um, something that you have just managed tremendously, and I want to appreciate you for that. One of the things I want to, um, I have two questions, actually. My first question is about the last thing you mentioned about the, um, the options and the, the access to, to vaccines, and you mentioned Johnson & Johnson. Can you tell me, uh, I mean, you mentioned Pfizer and Moderna. Can you tell me um, when the single shot, the single dose um, is being used, and I understand it was being used for some time, in the ED and in other sites, but then it was stopped according to the CDC recommendations. Is that returned and where, where, which patients are getting that vaccine? Thank you so much for this question. This is such an important um, aspect of our vaccine program, particularly at this time. As you know, um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine provides a unique opportunity for people who may not be able to return for that second shot. Um, primarily uh, those, in addition to those going to post-acute or long-term care facilities, people experiencing homelessness or homebound individuals. Um, we had begun to um, use, and because of the um, complexity of vaccine administration, um, the latest guidelines suggest that the safest way to administer these vaccines is really to minimize the um, the opportunity to use two types at one site. Um, there are ways to do it and we will consider those, but our initial strategy was um, based on the request by the Department of Public Health, we had started to initiate vaccines, vaccinations using Johnson & Johnson at four inpatient sites, John George PES and um, Highland, the Highland ED. Um, we took a pause and are currently um, now um, excited to, and we had also started using it in the mobile clinic. Um, and I was really excited to see that the first group that they vaccinated were a group of people experiencing homelessness in the city of Alameda. Our task force is currently uh, reviewing the warning labeling that is required. We're um, going to bring a group of leaders from across AHS inpatient and emergency department services in addition to medical leadership to review the indications to make sure that we have um, warning um, scripting available in a culturally and linguistically appropriate fashion. And then we hope to resume very quickly uh, vaccinations using Johnson & Johnson on the inpatient services in the emergency department and the mobile clinic. Um, we had, uh, there was a shortage coincidentally of Johnson & Johnson, so we had not really used it extensively in our ambulatory settings. Thank you. And, um, thank you. That, you know, to just a little follow-up um, <laughs> was around, um, because it, it, the CDC has released data in the last few days that there are, especially younger people, um, that younger people who feel a little more invincible, who haven't been infected, and who are less less likely than some people my age, perhaps, or people who are, have health conditions, to go back for the second vaccination. And so I, I think um, 5 to 8% they found of young people aren't going back to get that second vaccination, which, you know, provides apparently some, some there is some... Um, 
of course, protection from the virus after one vaccination. But is there some um, way that we are reaching out? I know I really appreciate your um, your mention of the the direct contact, direct conversations that pe- that our clinicians and and our site personnel are having with people when they give the vaccination. And um, I guess I would just suggest if you're not doing it already that that, that includes please come back and don't forget to return. And so somehow doing that culturally and um, linguistically appropriate as well. Another great point. It is concerning when we hear that roughly eight, eight to 10% of people across the United States are not coming back for their second vaccination. Um, again, as we think about the vaccination and our transition into usual care, it's helpful to think about this as a primary care preventive strategy. And we would do the same thing that we do for folks not coming back for their um, cancer screenings or other therapeutic interventions. So we provide reminder calls. We will continue to remind people to come back. We'll work with the Department of Public Health for specific strategies um, and to see how we can jointly provide more encouragement to our communities to come back for this important intervention. Thank you. Dr. Swift, thank you for your presentation. Um, um, so, uh, team, uh, we've, we've just w- walked through the first big block of the day, governance. What did we hear from this governance section? Um, we heard from our, our supervisor, Supervisor Chan, who kind of gave us a, a forecast of what we're going to hear. And what we heard is we're anticipating by August, the August session, to, to hear what the Board of Supervisors have decided upon for the model. And then subsequent, there's legislation which would be required to sort of execute this, which is sort of forecasting at Q1 of calendar 22. We then heard from our, our CEO on four items. We heard about how he's engaged uh, 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 the organization and that I, I put that in the bucket of culture. He's talked about how he is going to be reframing the org chart to be more agile and nimble. He's talked about Huron organization to help us better uh, from a financial perspective to go get money where we haven't been able to get it in areas like that. And now we've heard about a central health issue related to this organization, which is our COVID-19 response. So with that, we're gonna close out governance and I'm gonna say team, the trustees, very proud of you. Everyone's been engaged so far. Um, I think we still have some energy. A break was sort of built in but we're gonna blow through that break. We're, go- we're gonna take at least one item because I know the next presenter and I know she's gonna keep us very engaged. We're gonna now move into strategy. Three items are on the strategy list for today. There are many items of strategic uh, consideration for our organization. So we had to be a little bit exacting. We're gonna hear from East Bay Medical Group and uh, the new pres- newly installed president, Dr. Chitra Killiswaran, she's gonna come up. Then we're gonna ta- hear from our CEO, Mark Frasky, um, on uh, current and future state of San Leandro Hospital. And then to frame expectations, everyone gets lunch. Um, hopefully everyone's not post-prandial too much because we still have a lot of thinking to do this afternoon. We're then gonna hear a large, this is the largest single, single agenda item of the day is to contemplate current and future state of Alameda Hospital. So just framing expectations, I'm sorry for blowing through the break, but we can do it. Okay, keep engaged. Maybe we'll have to stand up and do some jumping jacks or something, but right now everyone's doing good. So we're going to go to item C1, East Bay Medical Group, uh, current state and future directions. Dr. Achilles Juan, welcome. Thank you and good morning. Good morning to the trustees and to the audience here. Um, 
Rana, is it okay if I share my screen? I think Rana would love that. <laughs> As a side note to presenters going forward, um, sorry, Rana, I'm going to call you out. Rana's daughter is graduating high school today. So uh, uh, she is not allowed to be here for some of the afternoon. So Ahmad is going to help us out if presenters need help advancing slides. But otherwise, Ahmad, if we can help our uh, presenters have um, uh, control over uh, or how their slides come up. Um, Dr. Killisborn, it's yours. We're, 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 we're slated for 30, um, however you can get us through this. But there's great dialogue. You, you, it's a great slide set. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so thrilled and honored to be able to present at this uh, retreat forum. I know there are many, many clearly very important decisions that are to come that are being made. Um, and I'm just excited to be able to showcase um, a bit about the new physician group, the new physician and physician assistant group, EBMG, as part of that. Um, I'd like to start with my own experience of being a physician in our health system. Um, this was a quote that was um, said to me by a patient of mine at Newark Wellness Center where I see patients as an obstetrician gynecologist. Um, and uh, just to give a backstory, uh, and for those of you who can't see the screen, um, the patient said to me, please don't let me fall through the cracks. I had sent this patient to a high-risk OB specialist, she's a pregnant patient of mine, um, who we contract from UCSF. This is an MFM, a maternal fetal medicine specialist who sits at Highland um, and is a UCSF employee. Um, and so in order to get her care, this patient had to drive from the South County to Highland. Um, she was not able to afford parking, so she parked in the street. She had to navigate her way to the clinic. She saw a provider who doesn't actually fully know our system. She was then directly admitted to the hospital where she had a full workup done that I was not aware of. Um, and then she was discharged and I came to know about all of this kind of on the back end when I was due to see her again. And so this is not new, this sort of story is not new to anyone who has worked as a provider in our organization, but for this patient, the lack of coordination, communication, transparency was truly palpable to her. And so when she saw me um, in clinic about two days after she had been discharged from the hospital, she called me out and she said, don't let me fall through the cracks. I can see you now. And so her quote to me represents not just unfortunately a bug at AHS, but unfortunately a feature. Um, because we don't have that level of care coordination, panel management, nursing and coaches that really provide the glue and safety net for our patients that other systems have. And so if you were to ask any physician in our system, and I'm gonna speak from the physician perspective since I am one and most of the providers in our organization are physicians, how they track patients who they're concerned about or that they have to follow closely, everyone has a different method. Some, keep, some folks keep a piece of paper in their pockets. Other folks have a notebook. We used to have stickers, of course, of patient IDs. Some folks have keep a notebook of patient IDs. Others have an email draft where they have a list of patients where they're sort of ad hoc doing panel management on their own. And still others are using Epic in very creative ways to keep lists of patients. But the fact is, is that our physicians are often that last line of defense to make sure our patients don't fall through the cracks. And sometimes they do. And so moving to our agenda today, my intention is really to give a very brief history of how EBMG came to be. Um, I've only been in this role for 45 days, so um, I'd like to surface some of my reflections and um, preliminary vision for the organization, but really consider this, the, it, the sentiments that I share that are based on my own 
um, conversations with many of our EBMG members, uh, physicians and phys physician assistants, um, uh, Canary in the coal mine. The st sorts of um, strategic and governance level decisions that are being made in the organization or that are in flux right now do trickle down to frontline providers. And these are the sentiments that are, that are felt um, in light of some of these transitions. And then finally, I have some questions that are very direct questions for the Board of Trustees around just how do we see this organization evolving? These are immediate questions that I have that um, I need some input on. And so what is EBMG? This is a very, very cursory timeline. Um, and of course, I welcome um, Ghassan and anyone else who is truly part of shepherding this organization through to help comment on this, if you'd like. We had two physician groups. The first is called Oak Care Medical Group, established about 25 years ago. Physician-led, safety net mission, um, very devoted to, to working within AHS, particularly Highland-based. Um, there were four specialties associated with that group emergency medicine, OBGYN, pediatrics, and internal medicine, including the subspecialties. Um, but it wasn't, of course, encompassing all of the physicians that worked at AHS across all of our systems and facilities. We then established Alameda Health Partners a few years ago, really born from the vision of a performance-based, risk-bearing medical group um, that was really going to drive growth and revenue for the system. And so there, it started off with a few doctors. It grew to about 50. Um, anesthesia, radiology, pathology, orthopedic surgery, podiatry, urology, very procedural specialties. That started in 2016. And um, the, in either case, I think what, what was intended was fantastic. What came to be didn't always follow. Um, and so a merger um, occurred starting 2017 um, that took a couple of years to, to work out. All of you, I think, know um, some of the details of the merger, the challenges that were faced at the time, truly bringing together two groups that were culturally different, governance structure different, um, you know, completely different in how they operated. Um, and, and then East Bay Medical Group uh, shakily launched last July. Um, and uh, Dr. Jamal Adin was our interim president, as well as the uh, board chair. There is a board of directors, of course, that governs the East Bay Medical Group that reports directly to you. And so early um, in my in my um, sort of time as president, in fact, right before, um, there was a, a survey that we launched um, for all of EBMG members to actually understand why are you here? Um, one of the mandates of our organization is really to recruit and retain physicians that really want to work at our system and is committed to our mission and patients. And what it found was exactly that. People are here for our patients. Our physicians are here for our patients. We're, they're here to work in a safety net, resoundingly. If you look at the other um, options that are listed, you know, they, they, they far, um, are, they're far exceeded by these first two. And so whether or not this is what people thought they were supposed to say or what they actually felt, it doesn't matter. This is what is culturally acceptable and normal in our organization, um, which means that we are truly all here for the same reasons. And that is, that is sort of how, um, how, what forms the foundation of this group. And then to get a bit into demographics, um, we are really intent on trying to reflect and represent um, our patient population and the, uh, the members of Alameda County. Um, and so you can see here that we do have some room to improve around um, our uh, racial demographics, although we have also we also have some great successes in terms of um, how we've aligned um, with our with Alameda County. Um, we'd like to get a little more granular on our patient population in particular here. 
Um, but we still have a, a big block of uh, white providers, white identifying providers. Um, and then you can see the others. We have um, you know, Asian representation, uh, Middle Eastern representation. We're really missing Latinx representation. Um, and we're hoping to use every single aspect of our recruiting processes and retention processes to help reinforce the fact that diversity is such an important virtue for the organization. Gender um, is represented here. I think we have some room to improve on inviting um, you know, uh, folks that don't ident identify as cisgender. Um, and then what's really interesting about this slide is just the tenure of folks that have worked um, at AHS from EBMG. So there's a truly bimodal distribution. Um, I'm sorry for the, the, um, the colors here, probably difficult to read, but I'll just describe about a little more than half of our providers have actually been here for less than five years. So you can actually imagine what that experience has felt like as there's been so much uh, turnover, transition, budget issues, um, challenges, there's been expansion, but maybe not the support for that expansion. Um, a lot of just um, instability um, that has been experienced. And um, and that has shown in sort of the sentiments that, that those folks ex uh, express. And then there's another block of folks that probably comprise about 25% that have been here for at least 10 years and are probably here for life. Um, they're extremely committed. We want these folks to stay. They're seasoned. They are master clinicians. They care. Um, they have a lot of institutional memory and mentorship to offer. Um, and uh, they're folks that we really cherish in our departments and divisions. And so when we get down to the numbers of what EBMG looks like, we have 187 staff um, MDs and physician assistants representing about 170 FTE, which means not everybody is uh, 1.0. Uh, we have about 75 uh, per diem providers um, that provide services as needed. And the little questions that come up are, I'm trickling down below um, for me, are who's not part of EBMG and why? There are about 60 MD contracts that are under AHS. Um, and there are also primary care physicians that work at all of our wellness centers besides K6 and at Highland that actually are UAPD affiliates. And so you know, what would it look like to have a unified physician, a truly unified physician group that we could um, incentivize and, and ensure are being supported and are able to perform to the max capacity. We have 25 specialty areas that represented and we have areas that are not represented. Um, I would say that we have some insufficient expertise around some of the medical and surgical specialties. And there's a question about adequate primary care capacity. And these are ultimately strategic questions in, in addition to um, just purely demand, supply and demand related questions. We're obviously covering a number of facilities, um, at least five, you know, large acute care facilities, four wellness clinics. We have an ambulatory specialty sent, uh, clinic that we're, uh, that we're operating as well. There's a question around whether this team currently can, uh, can cover the surface area. Um, our average department division size is about four providers. So for any given specialty, you can imagine how, what is it like to be on call every fourth night? Um, it can get very taxing across the system. So we do require contracts to cover um, sites with, uh, with the services that we want to be able to provide, um, which, which begs a, a larger question um, that I'll bring up later. And then finally, our budget is around 70 million. 98% um, of that is, is labor costs of our clinicians. We have about 3.5 administrative FTE to support the organization. I mean, remaining functions are supported by AHS. So 
So these are our specialties that we currently have represented. And uh, it's a lot to take in right now, but uh, they're in the board packet. Um, you can see there are, a number of, there are a number of specialties that we have. We're so lucky. Some of these are one-person specialties. So there's a single provider that has made their way over to AHS, is, is sort of leading the charge. I think Taft was actually one of those providers when he started as a GI uh, physician with us um, and built out his own service line. Um, so, you know, these are folks that are really uh, covering so many bases, wearing so many hats. And then some of these specialties are much larger. And, um, you know, anesthesia, for example, is 20-plus providers. Um, what we, what's not here is really interesting. Um, while we do provide services around, for example, nephrology or infectious disease at AHS, none of those people belong to EBMG. Um, and so it's really interesting kind of what we contract out given the needs of our population. Um, do we really want folks that are outsourced to be doing that work for our population, um, especially when it's such a critical service? And these are just a, a, a sort of a few of the, the, the specialties we do not have, but there are many others. And then this is just a quick map of EBMG org. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. We have three and a half FTE, um, and we have a couple of folks that sit with our org that are employed by AHS. So I'd like to go through a couple um, a couple of insights that I've gained just in my first 45 days. I've met with um, numeral, numerous uh, uh, physicians and physician assistants, um, just trying to meet as many people as possible. It's pretty challenging for me. I'm an introvert, so at the end of my day, I just basically collapse. Um, but <laughs> I really, really have enjoyed the conversations, and um, it's been such a pleasure to, to meet so many different dedicated individuals. In fact, that's been the real um, theme is how dedicated, how committed, how mission-driven everyone is. Um, there is this um, underlying anxiety and fear that things aren't going to be continue to be stable. Um, and I think that was reflected in uh, um, Mr. Jackson's and Mr. Frotsky's comments as well. Um, but uh, there is hope um, there as well. My first observation is that there are some growing pains that we're experiencing as we move towards this integrated delivery system. And in just my first 45 days, two different projects have come through my plate that have reflected this. One is just the adding of ICUs across the system or having to um, sort of uh, uh, resource uh, against ICU coverage across the system where there were three separate ICUs being operated separately. Um, one team is now being asked to do all three, um, which has been all in one year. And so there's questions around, you know, which ICUs do we need to use for what purposes? And do we need three ICUs? Um, and yet, you know, from the bottom up, when we're being asked to stop it because there's a need immediately, we can't really take that strategic input. So the outlay of dollars is significant um, to cover that service. Um, in fact, the net, um, the net uh, costs associated with covering these ICUs is probably more than they, than they were before, um, doing it as one system as opposed to three. Um, similarly, um, been asked to, to, to figure out how to expand specialty access to our uh, community facilities like uh, Alameda and San Leandro, particularly for our ED physicians who need to be able to consult with specialists that they know exist at Highland. Um, and our specialists actually signed up for a job that was based at Highland. So they're sort of being asked to do more than they, than they expected. Um, and again, being on call every night or every, you know, every, every other night or every third night is very difficult when, you're, when you go from covering one hospital to three hospitals. So there's some burnout, there's some fringing at the at edges, but there's also a true need for patients. And if we don't solve this, then patients are being routed to Highland just for a consultation, which is just a complete waste of money, waste of beds, 
et cetera. Um, and then finally, you know, what, what I'm kind of experiencing is a lot of our service growth really is starting from the bottoms up, which is we need another body to do X or Y. We need a, another body to fill this role. We need another body to um, cover this service. Um, and what I'm, you know, what I would love to hear is the top down. Where do we want to expand? Where do we want to invest? Where do we want to grow? And then how do I staff against that? Um, that would be a really welcome change from the current state. And so each of these slides has a quote, um, and the quote may feel a little bit ominous or hopeless, but I really want to capture the, the truth of what people are feeling and experiencing so that we can address it. From one of the physicians, AHS continues to ask us to do more and more without sufficient support. It's like physicians have to keep extending themselves to fill all the gaps in our system's care. My second observation is that physicians are extremely motivated. Um, when they get here, they wanna make an impact. They are here for impact, um, but they face constraints um, and or lack of incentives to perform. And so, you know, currently our comp structure is fairly basic, um, base salary for most. Uh, a few folks have uh, options for an incentive on top of that, which is ill-defined. Um, I would love those incentives to align with what the system needs ultimately. Um, but currently it's sort of at the discretion of their chair, their chief. We have, if we could align those incentives and, and create a variable uh, for every physician that is really driven by what they need to do to, again, align with the system's needs, whether that's generating revenue, whether it's um, quality, whether it's uh, equity, um, that, would be, that would be desired. Um, I think our, our physicians would be really excited about that, in fact. Um, Another aspect of this sort of the motivation not matching the, the support um, or incentivization, we have a lot of proceduralists that don't have sufficient staffing, that don't have sufficient equipment, and it's leading to idleness. And idleness is a form of moral injury. People are coming here to make an impact. They want to be productive. We have, a pain, we have a pain specialist who says, in any other setting, I could do 20 procedures in a half day. I can do two procedures a week here. So I have a, pay, a list of patients who are in pain who I keep in my email and I think about every day and I try to squeeze in, but that's gonna wear him down over time and he's gonna go somewhere else. And so ultimately a North Star vision, some sort of aspirational appetite for growth could really facilitate physician retention as well. Um, they have to see that there's a future where there's opportunity to expand um, is what I'm getting. And so the quote here is, it's hard to reconcile knowing how many patients my colleagues in other places can see and feeling like I can't be as productive because of limitations of equipment, space, staff, or political will here. Even if I try harder, try to work harder, I risk burning out without the security of a potential payoff. And what this person meant by payoff could, could, meant, could have meant impact, but also could have meant financial. And then my last observation is that there's a very broad scope to physician leadership today, um, which is an opportunity. Our chairs currently are accountable to three different entities. There's these, there's various reporting structures to, uh, to EVMG as their employer, to the medical staff office on the basis of quality and to AHS on the basis of budget. They have about 10 to 50% protected time variable across departments and divisions. So sort of wearing three hats in addition to filling in clinical roles, um, dealing with operational projects, uh, managing people, 
um, with very little time and uh, and really very little instruction, really. I think there's a real potential, you know, the org structure that um, Mr. Jackson and Mr. Fasky shared um, is incredible because there, I think there's a real potential to build these dyads and triads out even at the chair and the chief level, um, which could be really powerful and provide that support. Um, and I truly feel, given the number of leaders, physician leaders that are in our organization today, we're actually cataloging that right now. Um, this is a this is a differentiator for us. Um, there are not a lot of organizations that provide those pathways to leadership that really invite physicians to be leaders um, and have that impact in a broader way, in the way that our physicians are really motivated to do. Um, and so that's really exciting for me. But ultimately, I want that leadership to be pointing at what it is the system needs. To, for those leaders to also know what it is that the, the executive leadership team is asking of everyone around them so that everyone is moving in the same direction. That's not necessarily happening today. The quote here is, sometimes as a leader here, it feels as if your subject matter expertise doesn't matter. I may intuitively understand what needs to be changed in process or staffing, but somehow I'm subjected to infinite approvals from people who don't understand the service as well as I do. And so our legal agreement with AHS is a professional services agreement. Um, and what it details is basically two things that we owe AHS um, from, a, from a legal perspective, um, from, you know, as, as EBMG. The first is to deliver clinical services, as we know. But I think that's too basic. I would say that what we like hope to build is a mission-aligned physician and physician assistant workforce that allows all patients to receive cradle-to-grave care within the AHS network. Care is convenient, high value, and equitable. The second aspect of what we're being contracted to do is providing physician leadership. But again, that's not enough. Physician leadership that drives patient care innovation via frontline insights and builds institutional capacity that sustains AHS for generations of service. And so I'll end by just leaving some bigger questions here um, that I'm grappling with just again in my first month and a half on this in this role. I think the first is just, I, I believe that um, our organization, physicians in particular need to, are required to use our privilege at the top of the food chain in the hierarchies of healthcare that exist today, unfortunately, fortunately, to elevate patient voices in, in sort of broader visioning and strategy that occurs at AHS. So I'm wondering, can EBMG have some regular space at either ELT or Board of Trustees meetings to be able to do that. The second is one high-performing team. How do, we de how do we determine one physician identity, one high-performing team, when we have so many disparate ways in which we employ and affiliate with physicians? Can we bring all physicians, including contracts, into EBMG? And then finally, just the idea of dreaming bigger for our patients. We all want that. Can we start to build an operational team at EBMG to propel us towards those North Star goals. And so I'll stop there. Dr. Achilles Warren, great presentation. Um, if you don't mind, will you close out presentation so we can all look at each other? And it, we, we, we might need to come back to this, but uh, um, so um, coming around the corner, I'm just gonna ask all trustees to, I know everyone's a little bit tired, but we're gonna, a break is coming soon. Trustee Fox, then trustee Esteem. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation. It was really enlightening. Um, one thing that a light bulb just went on for me, 
uh, in the last five minutes or so of your presentation, and that is uh, something that I don't recall that the board has talked about, which is physician recruitment. And um, I'm, I'm just wondering where in the organization is the responsibility for physician recruitment? Is it with EBMG? Is it, is it with the uh, AHS administration? Um, uh, is there um, exclusivity in any of our relationships with EBMG such that only EBMG physicians have, um, have uh, uh, admitting uh, privileges at our hospitals? Um, you know, and what... And how is the board kept apprised of what physician specialties we're recruiting for and also what physicians are leaving the organization and why? And I, I think that has strategic significance that the board needs to uh, become more uh, conversant with. Great questions, Trustee Fox. That was a plateful for Dr. Achilles line. <laughs> I'll start with the first, um, who's responsible for physician recruiting? Um, in the PSA, uh, the Professional Services Agreement, ex explicitly stated that EBMG is responsible for physician recruiting with support from AHS in, in the form of funding as well as any backup office support. Um, so that's the first piece. Um, going to your other points around uh, is there exclusivity, um, that is a great question. Uh, I know that there are, and I welcome um, Mark or James or uh, Gassan to, to comment here. I know that uh, in some of our uh, facilities, other uh, community providers are entitled to, um, to, to work and perform services. For example, our ORs. Um, I'm not sure that's the case on the inpatient side um, and certainly, certainly not on the ambulatory side. Um, so as far as exclusivity goes, uh, for the most part, yes, I would say. Um, and then the third part of your question was, Mr. Fox? Um, what are we recruiting for in terms of what specialties? Who is leaving and why? And why is it difficult for us to recruit in certain areas? Absolutely. I think these are the sorts of things that I'm surfacing monthly. At, um, I'm planning to at our EBMG board meetings, but also happy to bring that um, further up to the Board of Trustees if, if, if important. And just uh, on that last question, uh, are you seeing physicians leaving the community? And if so, why do you, why do you see that that's happening? Yeah, uh, I'm doing a bunch of ex exit interviews right now. Um, I will say that uh, there are natural cadences to physician leaving physicians leaving organizations that have to do with partners um, and partners training, uh, you know, paths um, that have to do with a family, of course, and whatnot. Um, but some of the more concerning reasons that people uh, that I've found that some physicians have left is just lack of opportunity and lack of feeling a voice um, in our organization, especially those that were attempting to, to, to be leaders here. Um, so that, that has come up as a theme. Dr. Kilsworn, can you correct me if I'm wrong on this issue uh, to give a little bit of flavor? So the question is, who is responsible for recruiting? EBMG is responsible for recruiting for the specialties for which there's a contract existing under EBMG. There's a whole segment of people who are non-EBMG. I think the uh, two big ones, traditional traditions, behavioral health and UCSF are probably our two. Levels. So uh, 
should say, correct me, we're not, we have, EBMG has no responsibility for those. So it's sort of like a little bit of both, Trustee Fox. Thank you. Trustee Esteen was next, and then I think I saw Dr. J raise his hand. Trustee Esteen. Yeah, I think that my questions were going to be very similar to uh, Trustee Fox's and uh, the questions around recruitment and retention and the impact that has on the organization financially. Because we know that at Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital, as you stated, we need specialty care. Our ERs are not profitable. We have, you know, ICUs. We have to have physicians with support equipment. I mean, the, the statement about not having adequate staff to perform procedures, I mean, it's not just about a disruption in morale, which is the big issue. It's also the thing I think Mark was talking about with Huron, efficiencies. How do we have efficiencies if we don't equip our staff to do their job? Um, so, you know, I, I'm gonna take a page out of our chair's book and ask, what do you need? from us, you know, what are your top three needs? Is it money? Is it, you know, splashy three page fold outs that say what you're gonna get at AHS? Is it uh, that, do we need to start spending the money on uh, equipment and facilities? What are the things? Thank you, thank you for that question. And I really appreciate it. Um, I think there are a few things I can think of off the top of my head. The first is, uh, Having being able to meet sort of the bottoms up again the the needs that are identified by physician leaders and by physicians with a vision for how do you want to use this asset um, as the board of trustees and also as executive leadership, physicians are a huge asset and a huge expense to the organization. There there has to be some vision around how you want to deploy this asset, um, and if we have that, then we can appropriately um, staff, resource, recruit against that. Um, so that's one. Number two, I would say there are a number of um, physicians that uh, have active needs, um, meaning they cannot do their jobs well today um, because of limitations around capital equipment, uh, staffing, space, resources. And there is no process that I can identify that surfaces those needs in an aggregate way or in a way that allows quick decisions to be made. So something, some sort of process that enables those needs to surface as opposed to them individually coming up as frustrations, whether it's to their chairs or chiefs, to me, to our chief medical officer, um, would be really helpful as well. And then resources, of course, is always gonna be an answer, but um, I would love those resources to be um, actually utilized in a way that is most effective for the organization. Just to follow up on the process, because I think that processing, you know, finding a way to deliver the need in a succinct manner, who's in charge of creating that and receiving that? Yeah, that's a great question. I would imagine our executive leadership team would have some uh, both, you know, purview over this, but also um, ideas about how this might occur. Dr. J, thank you, Trustee Esteen. Dr. J, you had a comment. I saw that hand. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, I just want to uh, clarify what you already started clarifying in terms of the non-EBMG physicians that we have uh, uh, like big contracts with the UCSF. Uh, we have the AIM group who covers our inpatient medicine at Alameda Hospital and internal medicine in the, in the, in the rehab unit and the post-acute. 
we have UAPD physicians in ambulatory care in, in primary care, and uh, though uh, they are not uh, part of the EBMG, I think the governance structures of the medical staff still holds, and the medical staff who are EBMG employed are engaged in in uh, in, in these contracts and in in the. Uh, in the recruitment process uh, to a certain extent, especially when it comes to leadership positions among the physicians. So uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is that, uh, you know, during this journey, we moved into uh, systemizing our service line. Um, and what happened is that we, uh, we systemized the service line by employing within uh, initially HP and then uh, or HP and au pair, and then with uh, uh, with EBMG right now. And that's why we have uh, a really a large number of physicians who have joined in the past, uh, I would say, three to four years. And among those are the ED physicians, uh, the anesthesia, uh, pathology, um, uh, even specialty physicians like we have uh, ENT and we have... Uh, Urology is a very, very uh, challenging service line that we're trying to recruit into. So, uh, so I, I just wanted to add uh, this. Now, as it relates to trustee esteem question, it is our job to support the physicians. And, uh, you know, the, the delivery of care uh, right now, uh, it's not only a capital equipment uh, lab or capital equipment. It's really, it's a subject to multiple single point of failure. If we come to the OR today and we have four X who call in sick at the same time, I mean, we have to go and run and get, uh, get uh, support or get travelers, and, and that delays the process and expectations. If, uh, if we have, uh, yes, uh, 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 like an, a failure of, of a machine or, or, or pressure in the room, we have to stop the line. So we have been addressing uh, those uh, lately, like every single day, and trying to work with the physician leadership to, to make the, the operation as much as possible uh, efficient. And and we, we are we are uh, you know engaged right now. Those those uh, rounds that we talked about, those were the things that we were hearing also on the front line. Thank, Thank you, Doctor. Trustees, questions. Um. Luisa, was that a hand up? Got it. Uh, uh, sorry, Trustee Jensen, I see a hand icon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, my question is, my main question has really been answered. I, I, it was regarding um, this first slide and the um, contracts with different organizations. But I guess um, if if um, Dr. Akishishwaran or Dr. Jamaldeen could expand on something that's happened over the last over the years that i've been on the board <clears throat> and that's to expand or or eliminate contracts how does that work and, and i'm specifically thinking of the contract for emergency services at um, alameda hospital which went from different organizations and then is now with ebmg and that's great i think but i'm just wondering how from the perspective of the medical group and from the perspective of the organization, how that happens in knowing whether the, the medical group can actually perform the services and cover the requirements with, since they are dedicated to this organization and perhaps didn't have the capacity in the past. So 
Do you understand my question? Maybe Dr. Jamalian could start. I, I do understand it, uh, Trustee Jensen. So, uh, I mean, we, we are trying as much as possible to really focus on uh, on the quality and the patient safety and on as much as possible having standardization. So we are going to have contracts. Uh, the, uh, the contracts that were addressed, uh, specifically the ED contract, uh, I mean, there were several reasons at that time that uh, mainly were driven uh, by finance, finances. I mean, it was really uh, very difficult. We have also uh, people who are contracted who do not want to contract with us anymore. They come to us and they say, we, we, we do not want to contract your payer mix is, is no longer what it used to be. We have also contracted physicians also who uh, uh, do not want like to follow the patients in, the, in, their, in their clinics. So there are various reasons for, for, for contract. With, with the contracts that we have, uh, one, one is we want to make sure that the, the care delivery is, is as much as possible uh, like uh, safe and of the highest quality. And uh, Dr. Achilles Warren, as the president of UVMG, will be definitely involved in the decisions and the evaluations of the physician contracts. So I, I think this is like my simple answer uh, to, 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 the, to the question, Trustee Jensen. I hope I'm answering it. And if, if you have more specifics, I can try to do more. Well, that, now you answered my question from the perspective of, and I understand the need to be to be um, to be responsive and the need to address it if there is an organization or a medical group that declines or doesn't actually meet our standards. And so I appreciate that the East Bay Medical Group is is there to do provide the service my question to dr akita swan then is how do you, you know you you were very responsive e ebmg um oak care ebmg was very responsive in the case of um providing the service at alameda hospital ed and so in other cases right now we are as dr um jabadi pointed out we are we are suffering or or there are um other specialties that are the system is in, in need of other specialists and other specialists to provide the service and to meet the needs of your of EBMG and the system and to meet the needs of our patients. So how can EBMG be there and provide those services and obtain those, get those specialists into the group in order to make sure that those services are, are available and, and consistently available? Thank yeah. you, Trustee Jensen. Thank you. Um, I guess the, there are a couple of things I'll say to that. One is that all the physician contracts that are out, you know, that are sort of um, essentially all the physician contracts of those who are not employed by EBMG or FAHS currently. Um, so th that's how things are divided today. Um, so there is really no control over, you know, who is brought on in those situations uh, on the EBMG side. Um, I will have some influence over that, but um, I think some more closer closer relationships being built will be important there, if not housing um, physician contracts within EBMG. Um, I guess the second is this is where having that open dialogue and dialogue and process between the systems, uh, the system leadership, and uh, our physician group is really important because. I don't always have a sense of what's needed. I know what's needed from the ground perspective, but 
um, you know, I need to be told, you know, we're going to be six months from now, we're going to be, we want to be able to offer the service at this particular site. Um, we're going to need that much lead time to recruit um, a physician, not to mention the medical staff and credentialing process takes about 60 to 90 days. So there are, there is a significant amount of lead time and sometimes more than a year that's required to actually bring on specialists in particular areas. And so the more this becomes a, a proactive and forward looking, um, you know, process, the better. Thank you. Trustee, energy. I just wanted to, to yes, add sir. one other. Yeah, no I just wanted to, to to actually say that that ties right into your your concluding remarks, Dr. Kieliswan, and I. I'm in complete agreement that the physicians should be part of leadership and involved in leadership decision making. And I think when um, EBMG was established and the discussions surrounding the dissolution of Oak Care and the establishment of EBMG, that was one of the intentions as I understood it. So um, hopefully that will continue to be addressed and, and by by um, the CEO and by leadership. And so, um, because it, it has been an issue and it continues to be an issue, especially at some of the, not so much at Highland where EBMG is is very vested and very involved in, but at other sites, and I'm talking about Alameda Hospital where there are unmet needs. And so just to get to your, your second point and my conclusion is that the physicians will have the resources eventually and the resources include having specialists as we hear at at the quality committee every month that the physicians are not at the at San Leandro and at Alameda Hospital do not have the specialists that they need to do all of the services, provide all the services to their patients, even physicians who aren't part of EBMG. So um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate all of your leadership, Dr. Kilsworn, and look forward to um, you having more leadership within the organization. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Banerjee, then Trustee Blue, and then we'll close out this item and go to our last report before lunch. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Kilsworn, for that incredibly candid and, uh, you know, um, reflections as well as vision for uh, from the EBMG um, um, perspective. I have a question for Dr. J. So Dr. J, I see a CMO as somebody, and I speak as a trustee, that's looking at physician health retention and all of that, but ultimately, like, how is all this trickling down to a real solid, robust care system for the our community that really is deserving of it so how so two things one is kind of how do we resource folks and then how do we remove barriers so that they can be able to do stuff that they need to do that they are so motivated to be doing over here we heard about ebmg but like i'm hearing there's ucsf there's uapd there's traditionals there's aim aim there's um you know, um, you, so, and there's EBMG. So where do you bring, so that piecemeal, each of them are not thinking about, this is what I want, but like getting the administration, getting the operations, which is the undergirding staffing and getting that, that physician voice to be thinking more holistically. Where, where is that governance structure? Is it through the MEC? that these things happen or is MEC and how are you, what's your vision of making sure that all of these different threads and different strands of uh, uh, physician work that we have are coming together and that you are really leading the 
resource mobilization. And if there are, uh, you know, financial aspects that are happening here that, uh, you know, that, that are barriers, that you're really vocal in and a champion at the board level so that, you know, COVID showed us how we can get resources, how we can partner in new ways. Now, we can be more vociferous advocates for you with the county or with other um, entities. So, yeah, I just want to kind of hear your, your views a little bit here. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Benerji. Uh, I really appreciate this question. And, and this is like uh, really an open-ended question in terms of uh, my standard work uh, and, and how I can, my job is really to support the physician. I have said this, you know, since I came here. Uh, so I work closely with Dr. Uh, Felicia Tonabini, who is a shortage chief medical officer. And we meet with the chairs and with the dyad on a weekly basis. But also, we want everybody to escalate to us all these issues like immediately. And we try as much as possible to be connected with the physician leadership on the front line to address all these, all these uh, like uh, we call supportive issues. So that's from, uh, from like uh, a leadership standpoint. Now, the other thing is related to really having data about our operational efficiency. So we, we get we get data from various sources uh, uh, in terms of, of uh, uh, like, uh, like clinic visits or in terms of OR efficiency or cancellations or on time starts. So we try to as much as possible work on this data. Plus we get data also from the Midas reports from quality. But the, 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 the the, the structure of the governance that we're talking about is really governed by the chairs. So Dr. Tornabini meets with every chair. I, 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 I used to meet also with every chair regularly. Now that uh, Dr. Tornabini is meeting with them regularly and Dr. Achilles Warren is meeting with them, uh, I have a little bit decreased my meeting, but I attend the chair's huddle. And in the chair's huddle, we follow the, the, the smile uh, we call it the smile huddle, where we discuss all failures and we, we escalate them. Now, now with the partnership with uh, with uh, Mr. Fratsky and Mr. Jackson, we have already started to address a number of those issues that are related to um, I will call them uh, like operational challenges or roadblocks for the physicians. And we still have uh, a great deal of work of work to do. So uh, we are going to use, you know, our leadership structure, our governance structure. We're going to use also our operational and uh, and uh, and uh, nursing dyad for 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 this and and support support uh, all these aspects of of effective operations. Um, and there are there are sometimes. Uh, uh, like issues related to skills. Like I know I'm a pulmonologist when I do a bronchoscopy, I have four people in the room, but you know, they might not have had the right skills. So we really need to get them the skills to, to support us. It's not only the number of people, but it's also the skills. So this is uh, sort of my simple answer, but, uh, but we will, I will continue to work towards this, this support and towards harnessing all these issues and trying to make the system more more efficient for our physicians. Thank you. I didn't quite get the answer that I was looking for of how you're integrating all the inputs from all of that, but I'll be looking for more. Yeah, thanks. Thank uh, 
Thank you, uh, Trustee Vanderdee. Trustee Blue, then Trustee Dong. All right, thank you for um, the report. So, uh, Dr. C, I'm going to call you Dr. C, <laughs> Dr. Mm -hmm. Chitra, you had a list of um, specialties that need to be filled, and I saw that one of them was infectious disease. Do you have a priority in your mind, like what needs to get filled first so that those services can uh, be delivered? And then um, I know that AHS has a relationship with uh, UCSF. Um, do they, is the relationship directly with AHS or is it with the uh, East Bay Medical Group? And the second part of that is whether UCSF, do they conduct any specialties out of AHS? Like I know at San Francisco General, they deal with psychiatry and it's county nurses that do the staffing there. Um, trauma services is done by UCSF. Yep, so thank you for those questions. Um, in the first question, are there priorities um, for how to fill these specialties? There do exist physicians in these uh, specialties, they just don't exist within EBMG, and they may not exist to the extent that we want them. And so there are some questions around what is the appropriate level of service that we wanna provide in particular specialties, even in our existing specialties that may or may not exist today or may be contracted out. Um, and it's sort of a question of like, what is core to what we need to provide to our patients? Um, mm -hmm. And how should that be governed internally versus potentially by a contract? Um, although some of those contracts are essentially exclusive, like the ones that we have between AHS and UCSF surgery, those are folks that are contracted to provide exclusively services to um, AHS, um, those surgeons. So um, so I will say I don't have a priority prioritization right now. I think that's where the ongoing dialogue is important. Um, but. I, I do think that there's room to improve on a number of specialties that already exist and potentially bring some of those that are contracted into a staff position. Um, so th that's that's one thing. I think um, you had a second question around, uh, remind me of your second question. Around, it's uh, a relationship with UCSF um, and yeah. whether they do services for us. Absolutely, and, and Gassan can I think speak to, to more of that. Those are those are AHS contracts um, that exist today, and a number of our surgical specialties are are contracted to, through UCSF in particular. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, we have a close relation, Trustee Blue, with UCSF, but it is uh, the interest of UCSF to partner with us is. Uh, uh, is variable depending on the departmental chair. So we, we have a good relation with the general surgery and they have provided effectively uh, here general surgery and trauma for, for a number of years. And uh, you know, uh, based on the trauma, there are requirements like we really need to have, uh, like we need to have ortho. Ortho is within EDMG, it was AHP for a long time in EDMG. We need to have uh, neurosurgery. So. Uh, okay. With the neurosurgery, I reach out to the chair of neurosurgery and we're able to establish really neurosurgery uh, uh, contract with UCSF, which is very effective and it's part integrated with them. So they cover us in a very safe way. Um, we couldn't do the same, for example, for ENT. There was no interest from them. We are finding uh, there is interest in neurology, but there is very big shortage of neurologists throughout the nation. So it's really variable. With OMFS, uh, oromaxillofacial surgery, we established a very good 
relationship, we have now a very strong team of OMFS. They do very advanced surgery uh, with UCSF. So this is uh, this is how uh, historically uh, we have done it. And uh, since um, I was uh, the interim president and the CMO, uh, 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 you know, I was I was handling this. But certainly in the in the future state, we want Dr. Achilles Warren to be very involved in those decisions and in those selections. You know, uh, in our uh, standard work, uh, you know, we are, we have each other's on our. Uh, like a fast call number, but uh, I meet with Dr. Achilles Warren uh, all the time, you know, in order to provide this support. I just want to clarify also one point, since the question has come from different directions. You know, when AHP was received initially in uh, 2015, um, the idea was to be a risk-bearing organization. In other words, to have their professional billing and to uh, to carry risk. This uh, has proved not to be sustainable, you know, uh, because our professional billing for physicians cannot cover the cost of the physicians. We depend on on uh, supplemental funds. Um, mm. That's that's a big that's a big part of it. So, uh, in terms of uh, enrollment for billing, the enrollment is for EHS, which will really optimize maximally our supplemental funds, especially when we are caring for medical patients and non uh, or non-insurable patients. So uh, so that's um, that's uh, the, the, the idea here. Now the physicians, you know, want to uh, take risks. So we are looking into ways of incentivizing the physicians, but at the same time, we need to support the physicians in operation in case they want to be incentivized by, by volumes and by productivity. Thank you. I'm going to be quick. Um, thank you for the presentation. It's a lot of information and it's helping me formulate my broader perspective about physicians in the system. But my hope is that Dr. Jamaluddin, as a CMO, that you will bring to the board a vision of how we are going to address the larger breadth of, of our strategy related to physician retention and recruitment and the and your vision about how we bring these disparate groups of physicians together in one voice uh, for AHS. So I'm hoping that for the future um, uh, discussion item to come to the Board of Trustees. Chair Paquette, that concludes Thank you, Trustee Don. I'm going to try to make some closing statements. Number one, Dr. Achilles Warren, of course, hit it out of the park in giving us the presentation as expected. Sorry, we have high expectations of her and she's gonna close out on. Number two, I wanna remind this board of the governance structure which was set up. Remember, this was born out of the crucible of where we've gone with the prior administration. The governing structure in its current iteration is that the president of EBMG reports to a board of EBMG. And that board of EBMG does not report to the CEO. That board of EBMG reports to this board of trustees. So the governance structure is actually through this board of trustees, I say, in its current iteration. So um, back to Trustee Estine's question. Uh, she was trying to channel me. She probably channels me better than I channel myself. What what does Dr. Achilles Warren need? And if I was channeling, channeling Dr. Achilles Warren, I, I sort of made this up. She needs, she needs the three Vs, the three victors. She needs vision. She needs help on the clarity of the vision. 
are, is this an organization which is, for which all physicians are going to come through? These are existential questions, right? Is this going to be a contracting entity solely, or is this going to be a body that pushes quality? Is this going to be a body that pushes leadership and does so much more than clinical services? She needs, the second B would be viability. She needs to be able to know that she has the resources to viably sustain and create safe and high quality care here. Part of uh, uh, Dr. Achilles Warren's job is to realize, oh my God, we only have 0.6 of a dermatologist for our entire medical center. Oh my God, we only have 1.0 of an endocrinologist for our entire medical center. As a side note, when I first came here, I was the sole gastroenterologist, full-time gastroenterologist for about three years. Um, and uh, yeah, it is what it is. So she needs uh, uh, the, the viability. And then the third most important thing that she needs, she needs venue. And, and, and she needs a venue to, for which we can bear out these discussions about viability and vision. And I will note that she bravely put in her slide, boy, could she have a, maybe she needs a, she was being nice. She wants a position to have these contemplative discussions at the board level and the executive leadership team level, which in my opinion is completely apropos. So I do not control the agenda items for uh, the ELT, but I certainly get to contribute to the agenda formation at the board level. So for that, we can create venue for you. And you happen, Dr. Achilles Warren, to have a CEO, COO, CMO who are very interested in these existential questions to move us forward. So my action item is gonna be simple for on this to help leverage those discussions which we have. You get an agenda item at the board of trustee level. You and I will work it out and I'll have discussion with my executive officers about where we can continue this essential dialogue. So um, with that, I'm going to close this agenda item because I'm a bad time manager and it is 1222. I'm going to make a suggestion to our crew. Um, everyone's been terribly engaged. I really, really appreciate it. I think people need a break. I, I would like to send people to lunch. Uh, that pushes us a little bit back. But when we come back from lunch, um, Mr. Fratsky will have to navigate postprandial coma and talk us through um, San Leandro Hospital's current and future state. And I know Mr. Fratsky can get us out of our food commas. Rusty Bouquet, if I don't eat, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yes, sir. Then we're gonna hear about Alameda Hospital and then we're going to talk, go into finance. I think we're going to get some wiggle room on the back end on board performance, and I have some ideas on that. So it's 12.23. Apologize. Apologies for sort of the shifting agenda. It is what it is. Let's reconvene right before 1 o'clock, if that is acceptable to everyone. Is there any objection to that? All right. Have a good lunch. See you at around 12.55, right before 1. Thank you, everybody, for being engaged so far.